Welcome to another week of the Sports Block Podcast. Nathan Stacking here alongside my good friend and co-host of this podcast, Travis Crins. Travis, how we doing? Oh, pretty good. good. It was a, a good week of football. Football, I, uh, I enjoyed football. This week. Yes, we will get, yeah, it was a very good week of football, I must say. Uh, we will get to all of that here in a moment. First, though, let's, uh, let's just recap. You had... Uh, a barn burner on Friday night that you called, and then you had a game on Saturday. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. you are correct, yes. And then uh, Saturday, I don't know how the game went. Oh, no, I, I think I know how it was at half. Uh, what, Lincoln kill, uh, Lincoln, what, had like five touchdowns in the first half? Right? Is that the guy's name, for the quarterback for Pierre? Lincoln Keenholz. Yes, yeah. yep. Uh, Saturday night, a good old center in Pierre. It was 50-6. to six. All right. The final. He didn't. He played one snap in the third quarter for some reason. <laughs> uh, he had six, get that six touchdowns. Six touchdowns, 363 yards at half. Good lord. Um. Yeah. It was 22 nothing. Six minutes in. Whew. Of all, I mean, of all the games I've called, that was one where it's like, you know, you figure that was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And there's six minutes into the first quarter, and you're like. I don't want to be here anymore. <laughs> can, can the running I'm clock start today. now? <laughs> There's nothing to talk about in this game. And then Mitchell, they would drive at the end of the first half. They fumbled inside the 10 Ugh. with about 50 seconds to go. And Pierre hit a 73-yard touchdown pass. It was like a two-play drive, 91 yards. To make it 43 nothing at the half. And there was a running clock in the second half. So, yeah, they're really good. I don't think anybody's going to beat them. I don't think anybody's going to come close. Uh, they play Yankton. Next week, they're a team that could contend. I'm interested in that. And then T beat O'Gorman. That was a Whoa. little bit of an upset. So, we'll see if maybe T can give them a game this year. They, they lost 30-27 in the championship game. Uh, T did last year to appear. So, it's, it's T, T or Yankton. We'll see if either of those teams can can compete. I wonder if there was a big party at the steakhouse afterward. Oh my god. Well, sad news there. The steakhouse is no longer. What? What? Uh, they turned it into a... I don't know if it's a boss's pizza they turned it into, but the steakhouse, I believe, is not the steakhouse anymore, which is... What are we going to use uh, with all the certificates and all those coupons that they gave us? Yeah, I don't think we're going to... Uh, I think those might be invalidated. <laughs> so there's that. And I didn't learn about it until like, oh, months after it happened. It happened sometime maybe last year. So, yeah, that's uh, a disappointment, I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no doubt. I had heard, because I saw my aunt over this week, and she's from Pierre, so I was like, oh, you know, I'm hearing the great things about this Pierre football team and the quarterback going to Washington, whatever. And then she had mentioned that Jefferson is potentially a team out there. Is Jefferson, uh, how do they factor into this mix here? They're AAA, so they're... Uh, they're uh, oh, that's a level above, okay. But they are, they're really good, too. They are. This is their second year as a program, and they're number one. So Jefferson got really quick at everything, really fast. Most of their players and students came from Roosevelt. So, yeah, Jefferson may win a state football title in their second year. And uh, the barn burner I was speaking about from Friday night, what, 8-7? to seven? Was that the final score? And that included a 105-yard fumble return for a touchdown? Is that correct? It was 8-6. to six. Eight uh, six. Hanson, number 5. Hanson beat number 4. Parkson. Oh, man. 
a uh, terrific game. Um, you see eight to six, you don't think, oh, that's pretty boring. But this was an exciting game. Good. Uh, Parkston had a 17-yard or 17-play drive to score their one touchdown. That was six nothing in the second quarter, and then they drive from their own. They were inside their own one. They get to the other one and they fumble it. Oh. And uh, Jackson Jordan, a kid from Hanson, picks it up about halfway in the end zone and goes all the way for the touchdown at the end of the half. And they go for two, and they make it. And it's eight to six at halftime, and eight to six is your final. Oh my! That was the final. Was the they they. Uh, they win without really scoring an offensive point or a touchdown. That sounds like that Iowa. Is that sounds like Iowa football? Yeah, this was exciting. At least they moved the ball. Parkson really kind of dominated the game, mm-hmm. but they just score again. So it was uh, yeah, exciting game, more so than you would expect eight to six to be. Mm-hmm. Certainly. So, yeah, it was, that was a good uh, good football game. They got they got new turf over at Alexandria or uh-huh. Hampton at that. So, good booth. The first game they've had there at the new turf. So, yeah, both those teams should go go fairly far. So, uh, speaking of good football, we saw good football at U.S. Bank Stadium on Sunday. And specifically, I mean, I guess all the way around, this was one of the most complete Viking games I think I've ever watched or that I can recall in recent memory. Every phase was good. Special teams was good. Defense Excellent. Offense. Efficient. I mean, this... I felt pretty good about the Vikings coming in. Uh, I heard Lazard wasn't playing. And then and then you hear that Bakhtiari and Elgin Jenkins, the, the tackles, the offensive tackles for Green Bay, are out. And it's like, okay, if the Vikings don't win, this is a major letdown. This is just... This can't happen. And you see them get four sacks on Rodgers. And Rodgers has thrown like 36 touchdowns to no interceptions against NFC North opponents since like 2019. He's dominated. Well, what does he do in this game? One interception, one fumble, sacked four times. Probably should have had a touchdown except Christian Watson from North Dakota State drops a surefire touchdown on the very first offensive play of the game for Green Bay. But this was really the Justin Jefferson show. Kevin O'Connell, apart from at the end of the second half or second quarter there with that kind of weird thing, like maybe just take a knee after that Rodgers throws that pick going to half. Don't, don't, uh, don't tempt fate at all. But this was just an overall just wonderful game by the Vikings, as well-rounded as I can recall in many years. It was good. Still some things I'd like to see better, but for first game, first game with the, with the new coaching staff, I liked it. Uh, Cousins played well. Jefferson was great. Cook was good. The defense, I think I liked the defense the most of all, probably, how they played. Uh, pass rush was pretty good. A um, couple things I didn't like. I don't. I think the thing I hate most about Cousins is he can't run away from a pass rush. If the pass rush is there, it's just going to get him. Like he doesn't have the like we saw Rodgers. He's old, but he can move. Yeah, and his other quarterbacks move. But he like did Cousins step up into the run. He did step up into the pocket in, in that second quarter with that long throw to Jefferson. 
uh, that got like 45 yards. He was able to kind of evade the pass rush there a little bit. We can move around in the pocket. And I think it was that throw where it was a play-action pass. Oh, yeah, yeah. Cousins' fault or Cook's fault. Cousins goes and hands it off to the right. There's nobody there. Mm-hmm. Cook, went, Cook went to his right. Mm-hmm. He should have went to the left. Or, I don't know. It seems to me that's maybe Cook's fault because you don't want a right-handed quarterback. I don't know. Somebody's fault there. It was a play-action pass with no with the running back was not there to receive the handoff, which he never got. So right, that was whatever that was. It didn't matter. Um, Delvin Cook at the end of the game should have stayed inbounds. Yeah, um, it didn't yeah. matter, but there will be a game where that does matter. Yes, agreed. Where you leave a, you leave a team a minute instead of fifteen seconds, which is a huge difference. Oh, like the Bengals did. Well, we'll Sixteen-point game. It's going to be a three-point game. Mm-hmm. So just little things like that. Uh, Jefferson is great. He's the best receiver there is. Yep. He's a Randy Moss caliber receiver. Mm-hmm. Randy Moss is the best I've ever seen. Uh, they didn't cover him. I'm sure you. I mean, you watched this game. They just didn't cover him a lot of the time. There was nobody around him. Mm-hmm. I'm not an NFL coach. I'm not a defensive coordinator. I have no idea what the hell they were doing. It seemed like that was what I saw a lot last year. Jefferson just roaming around by himself. There was nobody. Nobody decides to follow him. I don't know what sense that makes. I don't know what the hell that coverage is. That's a zone coverage. I have no idea. Well, you have the quarterback who literally doesn't cover anybody. Mm-hmm. He just stands there. Well, so Joe Barry is the defensive coordinator for the Packers, and he is kind of installing or more of zone defense. And I think that's what kind of perplexed a lot of people with this because Jair Alexander is one of the best corners in the league. And he should have been shadowing Jefferson pretty much at all times, and he wasn't. So I think it was in part, you know, this zone coverage that just allowed Jefferson to roam free. And I mean, that's it to be. And also to be fair, I think the Vikings did a good job of that because they ran Jefferson in motion. I think two or three times as much as he did last, as they did last year on average. So they get him into those situations where because the Packers are playing more of that zone coverage, he's away from Alexander because Alexander's more, you know, he's set to just go on one side of the field. So getting Jefferson in motion on that with those zone with that zone read and stuff that the defense is doing, I think is is absolutely brilliant uh game plan installation by coach Kevin O'Connell and you know his his staff just to be able to get Jefferson in motion like that. I mean, and, you know, the Packers have a very, very good defense. We saw that there, and still Kirk Cousins picked them apart. Dalvin Cook ran it effectively. It took a little while to get going, but once he did, he picked up five, six, seven yards a a carry late in the second half. Uh, I thought that was big, and Adam Thielen said it after the game that this offense is attack, 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 and I don't think we really saw that in in the second half. But I'll take his word for it because there is, I think, that sense that you know it's the aggressiveness with the going forward on fourth and goal uh, or fourth and one on that touchdown pass on their on their initial on their first drive of the game and throwing it to Jefferson there. I think there's just this belief that they can pick stuff up at will, and it, it was just very, very impressive. What I hate, I saw that comment from Thielen, 
And I'm like, he didn't do anything in the second half. He scored two field goals. Yep. And what I hate, what I hated is they couldn't put the Packers away. I agree. Yep. At no point in this game did I feel safe when they scored a touchdown to make it twenty to seven. Yep. Like they're gonna lose. Yep. Uh, even when they were driving down there at the end of the game. Finally when they stopped him with about just under four minutes left, I'm like, all right, that's the game. Yes. I finally stopped them. I feel confident they will win this game. So right there with you. Until then, you know, and and that's just part of the NFL. There's so many close games, and it's just ridiculous how it works out every week. Mm-hmm. To where you have one team, and the Vikings that scored five times, and really dominated the game, and he had the Packers score once, and I still have to sweat it out late in the fourth quarter, thinking something may happen. I agree. <laughs> I so, agree. Uh, that's just the way that goes. One thing that I hate, and I've mentioned this before, you know, People want him to kind of sit on the ball there at the end of the half. Go for it. Thielen talks about we go for it. Well, they didn't. They just didn't do that. Uh, you have two. They had two timeouts. There were, what, 25 seconds left? Mm-hmm. They were at the 25-yard line, somewhere, somewhere around there. Yeah. That is four plays. And I, like I say, you, you spend all of this time, you spend an unhealthy amount of time preparing every week, and your life is dedicated to a game of football you have four plays there to do something. When on the drive previous, it took you all of two plays to march down the field to score. Mm-hmm. You can you can go down and get, at least get a field goal. So when they dump off to the running back, short little passes that don't do anything, and they continue to use their timeouts, yeah. either take and be done. I mean, two timeouts in 25 seconds, that is four plays. Mm-hmm. If this offense is as good as they think they are, you can get the 40 yards you need for a for a field goal attempt because the kicker was outstanding. Greg Joseph, A-plus for him. Yep. So uh, if we're, if we're go, 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 aggressive, 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 and be aggressive at the end of the half. Don't go up, what was it, 17 nothing and a half? Yep. Fucking go up 20 nothing, 24 nothing. step on their throat. Instead, we had to watch this entire second half, and they, they, you know, I think they only had four possessions mm-hmm. the entire second half, and they couldn't get that one touchdown uh, to seal the deal, which Jeff- I was disappointed in. Jefferson and the one they did get was a fourth and one or whatever it was. They had to go for it. Mm-hmm. And if they don't get that, then they're really sweating it out. So yep. it's a good game. I think they're going to be really good. I expect a big playoff loss around January 30th or so. Yeah. But it was a good first game, but there's a lot I need to see better. Yeah. Oh, and but I think people are excited about it, but mm-hmm. I'm going to say. And it's one of those things where if Christian Watson does catch that pass, I mean, that's a easy touch on he'll have in his career. Yes. Yep. Um, and then that was the big knock on him. He can't catch the ball. Well, if that's the case, I don't want you. Mm-hmm. If you're a receiver that has trouble catching, I don't want you on my team. What so, did I see something on Twitter? Was it you or something that said like 12.5% drop rate or something? No, maybe it was no. someone else. It was like that, That's what it was like. That's one out of eight ball. every eight balls that gets thrown your that's way. That, you're dropping. That's not nearly enough. So I'm glad they won uh, in a somewhat convincing fashion mm-hmm. when there were many other teams that did not. But obviously my expectations are to win the final game of the year that's played in the fucking season. Yeah. And so good first win. If they beat the Eagles, they should be 5-0 and going mm-hmm. to Miami. So big game next week. I think just that, that drive at the end of the first half, I don't – I, I would have actually probably preferred if they had just taken a knee there at the end rather than do what they did. And the only reason I say that is because 
if you do make a mistake, let's say there's a fumble or maybe there's a tip pass and an, and an interception, and now you give Rodgers and the Packers a short field. Maybe they get a field goal, make it 17-3. Well, they get the ball first to begin the second half. It'd be one thing if the Vikings were getting the ball first to begin the half. They weren't, though. So I... In, in that regard, I'm a little... I mean, every team usually is going to play safe. Yep. And that, that's just my big pet peeve of teams play it safe. Yep. Uh, yeah. You've got four, you know, they value everything. and You've got four, it's four plays. You can do a lot mm-hmm. in four plays. I th- so. And there is certainly stuff that can be worked on, but it's, it's minimal. Or I think it... You can look at it maybe like it's we're not as critical of these things that we otherwise would be had they lost and it turned into a you know a disaster because of some bad play calling or clock management like what Zach Taylor, former Sean McVay protege, uh, and the Bengals did yesterday. That was the game of the day. Bengals Steelers. Um, I mean, the biggest play of the game was the Christian Watson drop touchdown. Yes, yes. If he does not drop that, this is a completely different game. But Agreed. it happened early, and they got away with one. Yep. And sometimes, sometimes you need that. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, and again, I don't like people are gonna, you know, jump on the Packers' throats like, oh, they looked like crap and stuff. They looked like crap last year. They lost thirty-eight to three to the Saints week yep. one. And they still were the top seed in the NFC. Still, you know, you know, made it to the playoffs or whatever. You know, shit the bed against San Francisco, but that's beside the point here. Um, they did their job. They so I'm not gonna. And I look at the fact that they were missing two tackles, their top wide receiver and Alan Lazard. The Packers will be okay. Will they be as good as last year? There are certainly more concerns I think for the Packers this year than there were last year because you don't have that. Uh, safety blanket in Devontae Adams. I mean, and we saw what Adams did yesterday in the loss, or on Sunday in that loss to the uh, to the Chargers for the Raiders. He had 10 catches for 141 yards and a touchdown. He's great. Rodgers is going to miss him, but the Packers will be okay. This is no, by no means am I saying, oh, the Vikings are gonna, are surefire bets to win the North. Nope, I still think it's the Packers' division to lose, but there's still some... Yeah, the, the Packers maybe aren't as good this year as they were last year. That game of the day, though, was in Cincinnati between the Bengals and the Steelers. Joe Burrow is one of four quarterbacks in NFL history to get um, to have like 12-plus sacks turnovers in a game. He, had, he was sacked seven times, he threw four picks, had a fumble, and still the Bengals should have won the game because the Steelers have no offense. They should, and this is where the criticism of Zach Taylor is rightfully deserved. Jamar Chase makes his beautiful catch, toe drag, foot is on the end line. It looks like it's a touchdown. The ref calls him short inside the one. Probably should have challenged that instead the Bengals try and go for it. They get st- or they, first and goal. They lose a couple yards. They throw three passes. They can't get in, and they they turn the ball over down twenty to fourteen. They get the ball back because the Steelers are inept on offense, and yet and then they throw a touchdown to Jamar Chase with two seconds left. All you need is the extra point, but their long snapper gets injured during the game, so they have this backup tight end who's you know long snapping. Bad, uh, a slow snap, Minka Fitzpatrick, who had a pick six to begin the, the game, 
comes through, blocks the extra point. We go to overtime. Again, the Bengals drive. They have a 29-yard field goal. Snap is high. The timing's off. The laces are towards the kicker. McPherson kicked it so far left it went to probably uh, Indianapolis or, you know, to, to Carbondale, Illinois. Like, that's how far left it went. Because uh, it's west. Anyway, uh, Steelers get the ball. They miss a field goal. And then the Bengals with... Because uh, and I was surprised. Did you watch this game at all? Were you watching this in overtime? I didn't see overtime. I saw a little bit at the beginning, and you know, the Pittsburgh defense. Um, I mean, you just got Frank as quarterback. That's what you expect. Right. You know, it's like. But so at the end of so, so the Bengals have this. It's their final possession of overtime. They uh, Burrow goes back to pass. He gets sacked. He fumbles the football. Samaji Pirine, the running back in there, picks it up, runs around and gets to like the 37-38 yard line. And Ian Eagle and Charles Davis are like, what a great play. Like he gets it, to, you know, uh, to, in the field goal range here. Otherwise they'd have to punt. And all of a sudden the ball's back at the 50. And they're like, wait, what's going on? Are they calling in a sack? And I'm like, no, you can't, you can't advance the football unless you are the person who fumbled it inside the final two minutes. Like, I knew that. I don't think anyone else realized that, but I'm like, that that makes total sense. And that's what they called. You know, Gene Sterator comes on, it, it explains it. Like, okay, that's fine. Bengals have to punt. You know, you're going to take that clock down, and there should be about 35, 40 seconds left for the Steelers' max. Unlikely, I mean, we're, we're probably going to get our second tie of the game because Texans Colts finished in a tie just five minutes earlier. Instead, what do the Bengals do? They punt with 15 seconds left on the clock. The Steelers get the ball. It's third and one. Offside, they get a nice play down the field. Chris Boswell makes a 53-yard field goal. And the Steelers em somehow emerge victorious. The Bengals should have won, or at the very least, should have tied. It's inexplicable uh, to not challenge that potential touchdown catch by Jamar Chase. It's inexplicable to... To punt with 15 seconds left. He said, we were worried about the snap and everything. Well, then oh, isn't that more of a reason to keep the clock, let it, letting it go down and give the Steelers practically no time to punt? Like, it just doesn't make any sense. So the Bengals, I'm not, I'm, I'm not panicking on them. I think they'll get everything figured out. But, wow, they just, they bungled their way to that loss. That was, it was Cincinnati-esque. I mean, some of these things that are so seem like so easy. Seem like every week, like at the end of the game, they're even snapping it with five seconds left. So that adds up to 10, 20 seconds at a time. If you do it long enough, and I don't get why teams don't take that more seriously. So just a ton of mistakes, and there were so many different plays and situations where Certain teams had 80, 90, 99% chances of winning uh, that game. Mm -hmm. That was yeah, the other, probably the craziest game of the week where both sides should have wanted a half dozen Yes, absolutely. Uh, and we had plenty of upsets on on Sunday. And uh, oh, what, what was I going to? Oh, and there were a ton of injuries. I'll get to the uh, we'll get to the injuries here in a second, but the upsets, the Giants go into Nashville and beat the Titans. Kind of it it makes me a little more um, 
satisfied, I guess, with how I picked the Titans to finish this year because their offense just appears to be dreadful. And their defense let Saquon Barkley run all over them. That wasn't good at all. But that was a, a big upset win. The Bears in that slop at, at Soldier Field against Trey Lance from Marshall, Marshall, Marshall. He uh, wasn't very good. It was sloppy conditions. But Justin Fields leads the Bears to a 19-10 victory. So that was an upset win. People are even lumping the Vikings in there, which I don't necessarily get. But Vikings ended up being a favorite. It was like Packers were like minus one to start the week. Mm-hmm. And the Vikings on Sunday, it turned to them. They were like minus one and a half. So and I think it was, it was, it was a pick'em game. I think that though was because uh, Bak- Bakhtiari, Lazard, and Jenkins were out. I think that I think that helped swing the the pendulum in favor, like put you know the points for the Vikings. That that that's what I believe. But I mean, you just see, and you know, the the text, the, the Saints nearly lost to the Falcons, which would have been a just an absolute head scratcher. Uh, I mean, what else did we? I mean, the Jaguars almost beat Carson Wentz and the Commanders. I, I mean, just absolutely, and that's why kind of Week One's more of an outlier. We'll see where we're at at the quarter pole here. I don't expect the Bears and the Giants to necessarily be there at that point, but. Holy cow. I mean, you just see some of these results, and it's like, wait, what? Cade hey, York, a rookie kicker, makes a 58-yard field goal against the against Carolina, and the field goal would have been good by from 70 yards. That's how much he drilled it. It was just an absolutely wild week one in the NFL. Feels like the Eagles wrapped up their division already. It sure does. Sure does. I don't know if they're going to win more than maybe 10 games, but yeah, it's between Washington and the Giants and the Cowboys now with Dak Prescott out. Um, they're like, they should be a big favorite. And it's a week one, you just, know, just don't know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Everybody talks about how deep the AFC is, uh, but I think, we're, I mean, it's going to be Buffalo, Kansas. Oh, yeah. Those are the two most impressive teams this week. Mm-hmm. Um, I would be stunned if, I mean, anything can happen, but if that's not the AFC title game, I don't know what is. Because if it's not that, I mean, those are by far the two best teams there. Kansas City's great. They've been great for a long time. And Buffalo picks up right where they left off. So Yep, and that game was far closer against the Rams Thursday night than what the final score uh, or than, than what it should have been because the Bills had turnovers. The Rams can do anything offensively. The Rams and Cowboys look eerily similar, except that the Cowboys or the Rams still have their quarterback for now. Uh, the Cowboys, they don't. They're without Dak Prescott for six to eight weeks with a broken thumb. But it's just the, the lack of wide receivers, a good defense, but maybe a questionable offensive line. It's like the, the Rams and the Cowboys are very similar. It's just that we uh, the, the, the media likes to to talk and just puke up uh, garbage when it comes uh, to, to talking about the Cowboys. And it's that post-Super Bowl thing of, like, if the Rams and Bengals both don't make the playoffs, I wouldn't be surprised because it's that post-Super Bowl thing. Mm-hmm. So um, the NFC West, a bad week for them. And I haven't looked at their schedule for week two, but somebody said they could all lose next week, too. No, I, the Rams play the Falcons in L.A. I don't see that happening. Uh, San Francisco plays Seattle week two. 
Um, so that, but hey, anything can happen. Like got problems. It seems like they always have problems playing Seattle, and Seattle just scored a touchdown here. So you're in for a fucking dog fight between Denver and Seattle tonight. Yeah. So I mean, the AFC South didn't have a win at all. Will Disley? I mean, where's where's uh, where is Mister uh, DK Metcalf? Anyway, um. The, the AFC South didn't have a win in week one, and they had two teams playing against each other. I mean, it's just absolutely bizarre. I mean, yeah, they're the division I may not want to get in. So, yeah, I mean, I just, yeah, one team out of that, Colts, Titans, take your pick, and I don't like either of those teams. So, you know, week one, just stupid things happen that don't make any sense. You were right though about the Chiefs, or uh, you know, just and, and the Bills. Uh, five touchdown passes for Mahomes. He looked absolutely great. The Cardinals looked like shit, uh, and the Bills. Oh my gosh! I mean, just Josh Allen, Gabriel Davis, Stephon Diggs. That defense is great with Von Miller. I mean, yeah, I think Buffalo's almost sewn up the AFC East after we go. If we want to give the NFC East to the Eagles, let's just give. Uh, the AFC East to the Bills. And I'll just say, top three uh, MVP right now, I would give it's Mahomes one, Josh Allen two, Justin Jefferson three. Herbert's good too. Yep. Throw him in there. Four. Give him four. Uh, I think the team I'm most interested in is Miami. Mm I love their coach. I love their coach. Mm I like Chargers coach. I think uh, my new favorite coach is the Miami coach, McDaniel. McDonald's, what's the name? McDaniel. McDonald's. Yep, Mike McDaniel. Mike McDaniel. I like what they what they did to the Patriots was very impressive, but the Patriots never win in Miami. The Patriots' offense looks just awful, and now uh, Mac Jones, the quarterback, is dealing with some back spasms, so we don't know what's going to happen here moving forward uh, with him. The Patriots have a lot of issues. The Dolphins looked really good, and I'm not taking anything away from them. But even with Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell, they scored only 13 points because they had a defensive touchdown in there. So I need to see a little bit more from the Dolphins' offense. But it was a very good, uh, it was a very good first impression by Mike McDaniel's Dolphins. I think that the Dolphins have uh, Charlie's Dolphins certainly have um, uh, some excitement headed their way this year. And then the injuries, week one. We talk about injuries all the time, but huge injuries to discuss. The Ravens lost two guys for the year, one to a torn Achilles, one to a to a torn ACL. Dak Prescott hurts his thumb, uh, breaks it. He had surgery on Monday. He's out six to eight weeks. Um, uh, uh, one of the... Uh, one of the, the 49ers running backs, he's going to be out a couple months with a sprained MCL. TJ Watt, defending uh, defensive player of the year. He is a partially, he is a torn peck. We don't know the severity of it yet. He's seeking second and third opinions. He may need surgery. If, that, if he does, he's out the whole year. He may just need, uh, if he doesn't need surgery, he's out probably six weeks. So, key injuries to several Big name players that, I mean, the 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 one the biggest one is to Dak Prescott without question, um, but I mean T.J. Watts is certainly significant as well. And for the 49ers, you it's just the next man up at running back, but it's uh it um 
Mitchell, uh, Eli Mitchell, he's out two months, so it's uh, it, it's it's very tough, I would say. You're looking at all this, and a lot of big names went down week one. We did, and some teams that didn't play in the regular in the preseason did well. Some teams didn't. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you can argue both ways about playing in the preseason, whether that matters or not. Vikings didn't play; they played well. You know. Uh, Packers didn't play. They didn't play very well. Mm-hmm. So, kind of depends on where you're at. And I love that Miami went for it. It was like a fourth and seven at midfield there before the half. Yep. Love that. You know what Tyree Kill had to say? Yes. Uh, that Mike McDaniel needs a wheelbarrow to carry his big cojones. His big nuts. So, yep. I like Tyree Kill doing that. And I like Mike McDaniel. So, uh, my second favorite team this year will be the Miami Dolphins. Very good. That, and again, this NFC is open. Yep. So if, that, if the Vikings want to do something, again, I'm none concerned about any NFC team this year. So this year would be a good year to be good. Mm-hmm. we had a couple mm-hmm. of good years in our lifetime, and we'd like to see maybe one more. Yep. I'll be ready for the, the letdown late, but I'll okay, have a good good year before that. Bucks Cowboys Sunday night was just a, an absolute snooze fest. The Cowboys have zero wide receivers outside of CeeDee Lamb. Bucks defense was really good. They'll get Michael Gallup back at some point, but Dak Prescott's likely out until um, the game against the Packers uh, week 10, which is right before the game against the Vikings. So well, hopefully we don't get vintage Dak Prescott at that point, but the, the Cowboys are in a world of hurt, and it's maybe time to get Dallas off of our TVs once and for all. It's just too much. We don't have to play Cooper Rush again. So. Right. <laughs> That's always good. And it's not on a Sunday night. But this Hopefully might be the new... Like, hey, Prescott is back in the best game this week is a Thursday night. So. Yep. And I love I love the late afternoon kickoffs because and, and primetime games because it means you're important. It means you're you know, you're worth a damn, that you, you're successful and whatnot. I like the late afternoon kickoffs. I think the most... Vikings did good in that. They're 1-0 so far in the late afternoon window. Let's see what happens here. You're going forward. They play Monday night. Let's see if the primetime Kirk comes up. Uh, so we'll, we'll see what happens there. But, yeah, Chargers Chiefs, best game of week two. Um, Dolphins. Vikings, this is probably your second best game. Yep, I would, I would agree with that. Uh, Dolphins, Ravens, maybe third? Yep. So. Uh, Eagles, one-point favor. I think Eagles are going to win. I agree. Uh, yep. Uh, yeah. I think they're going to win by uh, probably 10 points. We'll see. I mean, that defense, I got high hopes for that defense. So. Yep. Well, they're going to need to spy on Jalen Hurts because he can run like crazy. So uh-huh. definitely interesting there. So uh, good week one, good win for the Vikings and all the all the rest. Uh, Joe Buck Troy. fantasy football week for you, it looked like. Yes. Yep, Jalen Hurts was big. Uh, DeAndre Swift, monstrous game. Um, Waddle with a big uh, game. Uh, yeah, I, I got I got a good share of points. Yeah, good. So there's that. Uh, college. Uh, I'm gonna just we'll we'll get your week three picks here. In a little bit, but I have to tell you, I should have just listened to you with your college football picks this year, because you're looking great with your four playoff teams so far. 
I'm already, I've already lost two because A&M loses to App State, which, by the way, was your watch-your-ass game of the week. was App State well, at A&M. A&M. Yep. And uh, they should have because they lost, and I'm a huge fan of that. Yes, and College Game Day will actually be in Boone, North Carolina at App State this week for Troy at App State. If that doesn't tell you kind of what the slate looks like for yep. college football, uh, but you had Texas Tech over Houston. Uh, you did have Arizona over Mississippi State. That didn't happen, but I'm giving you Texas Tech over Houston. And Baylor-BYU, very good game. Honorable mention was to Kentucky-Florida. Probably should have put Texas-Alabama in there. Maybe that would have been a watcher-ass game. But um, I, I think we I think we need to start Ooh, my, with... What was my upset over my other two? Uh, you had, your upset was Texas Tech over Houston, which happened... And then yeah, yeah. Arizona, Arizona over Mississippi State, which did not. So yeah, I'm pleased with those picks so, so far. You've but you've crushed it. You really have. Um, and I don't know if we're going to have another week like we had because this was a fantastic college football. It was. Weekend. I think you know when we we kind of looked at the schedule and be like, okay, there's not a lot of great games here. Alabama, Texas. Now, the, you know Baylor, BYU. That was the one we were most excited about because it's one it was one of the only two games that pitted ranked teams against one another but i think we now need to we need to remember this for next year when we're looking at week two and be like okay something crazy is going to happen because as much as we don't think it's going to look what we saw we saw notre dame lose to marshall uh marshall 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 we saw AM lose at home because they have zero offense against Appalachian State. I mean, we see these crazy upsets here, and it just kind of sets the tone. Like, there could be chaos this year, uh, but also we're all, we're already thinning the field out a lot in terms of potential teams that could make the college football playoff. And Alabama probably should have lost to Texas. Can you imagine what that would have done to the college yeah. football world? It would have turned it upside down. So we have just great games all the way across uh, the gamut on Saturday. It was wonderful. Game of the day was Alabama, Texas. The quarterback doesn't get hurt; they probably win, but it was it was something else. That Quinn Ewers is pretty good for Texas, and he's now out. What did I say? Four weeks. Four, four to six. He could be back versus Oklahoma. So see how good he is. But yeah, Alabama's offense was not very good. Uh, they don't play well on the road. They do not go on the road very often. Mm-hmm. Probably a good thing is they do not play well away from home. So as good as they are, as good as, good as they've been for a long time, they don't play well when they're on the road. So, yeah, Alabama certainly beatable. Uh, Notre Dame, not good. Uh, I am not... The, the, the result I'm the happiest with is App State over A&M because I hate A&M. Mm-hmm. So overrated. I do not give a shit about your recruits and your five stars this and that. Win some football games. I said I was going to maybe, I was a little a year early on A&M. I'm done with that. Nope, I'm not even take, I'm not even oh. going to sniff A&M next year. Not even going to try it. Uh, I love, I mean, USC, I am... Very happy with them. Uh, I'm happy Kentucky beat Florida. I like that. Yep. Uh, I went to Pier there on Saturday, like we talked about. So I taped the Baylor BYU game. 
And I watched it Sunday morning. I had no idea what happened. I feel like it's so rare to actually tape a game, try and stay away from it, watch it, even right after it's done or even the next day. Mm-hmm. But I got that done. Uh, I like that game. It was a defensive struggle in the first half. They score a little bit more in the second half. Mm-hmm. Uh, double overtime, BYU wins 26-20. So I uh, really enjoyed enjoyed that game for, for what that was. So don't, very happy BYU won. Absolutely, I am as well. And don't you think, you know, with Houston losing and Central Florida losing, like the, and Cincinnati's already lost. So I think we can discount the AAC from doing anything. At this point, is it really only between like App State and BYU for a shot at like who's going to play from the non-Power 5 or, you know, in, in the group of six? Yeah. I mean, that's, that, I think that's, that's what we're down to at this point. Like, we just whittled the field down to those two potential teams right now. Because right? Notre Dame is winless. They aren't going to do anything. Uh, there's no other independent that I'm going to be like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm all for that. It's BYU. It's BYU and App State. It Maybe Coastal Carolina. It's, it's Fun Belt, Sun Belt, and, and BYU at this point. I'm not saying – I don't think the AAC does it this year. Let's see if one of those teams run the table, but like BYU, they should have playoff aspirations. Mm-hmm. My upset this week is they beat Oregon. They're a three-and-a-half-point underdog for some reason. All right. I think they – that Oregon, I – Yep. I hope they win. Probably going to lose, but I, I hope – that's my game of the week. It's my game of the week and my upset special, BYU, over them because I love their schedule. Uh, Tennessee and Pitt was another great game. That was an overtime. Mm-hmm. Tennessee, I'm telling you, watch out. That that offense is very good. So between uh, Tennessee and Kentucky, hopefully somebody can give Georgia a game. So yeah, a lot of a lot of good things to like from college football. Washington State beats Wisconsin. That's fantastic. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, Iowa scored one touchdown. Yay, Hawkeyes! They lose 10-7 to Iowa State. Iowa has got to be the most dreadful team in, in the nation to watch football. Like, it's just terrible. It is awful. It is terrible. I don't know what you do, but it's awful. Well, maybe you don't have your son be the offensive coordinator anymore. That's just a just a thought. And this is – they're struggling against Iowa State and South Dakota State. What happens when they play Wisconsin and – uh, Minnesota and these other 10 schools. I mean, they don't have to worry about Nebraska because Nebraska just gave up 642 yards of offense to Georgia Southern. Scott Frost is gone. I'm going to ask Charlie about that here later on. Um, I mean, I'm sure he's happy, but they were Georgia, Georgia Southern. It, Nebraska fans were so fed up after that performance that Nebraska said, nope, we're just going to pony up the 8 million. We're not going to wait another four weeks. To go through this shit more, we're just going to fire you right now, Scott Frost. Get out of here. I mean, that's that's the chosen one. That's who they begged to come. Like, I feel like Nebraska is kind of a black hole right now. For like, how is that an attractive job at all? I don't know why you don't wait the three weeks to save seven and a half million dollars. That is fucking ridiculous. Well, you give up six hundred forty-five yards to Georgia Southern. I mean, that might that might be the reason why. That is just another stupid Nebraska decision to waste that money. What is the difference if you fire him now or in three weeks when there's – and, again, money is not an issue for them, apparently. 
and the players players are getting paid a little bit now, but they've been getting paid a lot more if they can just afford to. Here's a seven and a half million dollars more than than three weeks from now. So that is ridiculous. So yeah, fuck Nebraska. Six hundred. There were there were over twelve hundred yards of offense in that game in total. That's just crazy. Like their defense last year was all right. Their offense wasn't very good. Now it's just the opposite. Their offense is pretty good, but they can't stop anybody. Mm-hmm. So Iowa might so, yeah. be able to score on them. Iowa might be able to score on Nebraska. We will see. Now you you're taking BYU as your uh, against Oregon as your game of the week and the upset of the week. It, now since BYU is ranked higher than Oregon, but yet Oregon is it's is favored by three and a half. How do we work that on the upset on the upset scale? Because yes, it's an upset in terms of the of the spread, but the but BYU is ranked higher. So are you taking BYU as the upset win over Oregon, or is Oregon the ranked upset win? It's all about the point spread. All about the point spread. Okay. So right now, about ranking okay. I don't feel at all about the ranking. Okay. Washington, Washington is a three and a half point favorite at home versus number eleven Michigan State. I like it. I like it. Go Huskies. So that's another. Well, the rankings do not look uh, justify the point spread at all. The FPI. Uh, I'm just looking at North Dakota State at Arizona right now, and actually, it's. Loading, of course, as I'm saying this, you know, it's got to take its sweet time. You want to know what the matchup predictor is is saying in terms of uh, percent chance that North Dakota State has of winning? That's a 10 o'clock game. It is, yep. And I want to sit on FS1. I don't know what the point spread is yet. I would say it's 55% North Dakota State. It is actually not. 42.8% North Dakota State, 57.2% Arizona. I North Dakota State's going to win that game, are they not? I would think so. It's just interesting because when when I looked at the FPI, like the the percent chances for SDSU and Iowa, it was ninety one percent for Iowa, nine percent for SDSU. Absolutely, uh, I mean that's obscene. I don't know what the hell they use, but that's ridiculous because we all kind of thought SDSU had a shot. Like they, it's it's been a long time since they've been blown off the field against one of those teams. Yep, I guarantee. Once they find this, once they find this point spread. I will take NDSU. I assume they'll be the underdog. I'll take them. It's not available yet, but I will take them to win the game and also cover. So. They, um, I guarantee game day would be at College Station this week if A&M hadn't lost. A&M hosts number 13 Miami. That's at 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. on ESPN. A&M's favored by 5.5. They just lost to App State, and now you're favoring them against the number 13-ranked Miami team? What are we doing here? Do I don't know if I do a, a show-me-something game of the week. Maybe it's not that. Oh, okay, yeah. So we, I've, got, we, I've got my upset and my game of the week, BYU-Oregon. Yep. yep. What's your watch-your-ass game? I've got two watch-your-ass games. All right. Uh, one of the watch your ass games, Texas. Watch your ass. You've got UTSA coming to town. Better watch your ass versus the Roadrunners. Mm-hmm. My other game, what the hell was it? I lost it. My show me something game, oh, here it is. Uh, my other watch your ass game, I think it'll be third week I picked this team in some sort of way. It's Houston. Okay. Houston host Kansas. Ooh, yeah. 
Houston is a 10-point favorite. You better watch your ass, Cougars, because the Jayhawks are coming to town. They actually won a road game, which is unbelievable. So Mike Florio, Pro Football Talk, you know how much I love Pro Football Talk, and I like Florio's snarkiness and everything. He's a Vikings fan, too, so he's happy this week. Um, he and I are both on the fire Neil Brown uh, wagon here. How did, I mean, West Virginia should not have lost to Pittsburgh, and you can't lose to Kansas. Well, I don't know what we're doing. Um, I thought West Virginia was a, kind of a sneaky team in the Big 12 this year. Nope, not not the case. So, uh, Neil Brown, get the hell out of uh, Morgantown. Yeah, just get out. Fire Neil Brown. Fire this guy. You show me something game of the week, Miami. Show me something. Beat a Well, they should. They should, but, well, well, I guess we'll see. No, show me something. So I like, I got a, I watched, you know, that uh, Texas, North and watch Texas, Alabama, I like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll probably watch a little bit of Oklahoma, Nebraska. I'll have a name on Fox, see how that goes. That was close last year. So I like uh, the, the, the 2.30 start with BYU and Oregon. Hopefully BYU can, can keep on rolling. Uh, and then those late games, the, the NDSU Arizona game, and uh, maybe, maybe Washington's uh, Michigan State. See yeah. if Washington can maybe uh, maybe be an early surprise. So a couple games I'm interested in, and I plan on watching a lot of that. So and then Miami A and M on ESPN. So. A good, I mean, a good, maybe an underrated weekend. There's just enough that I'm interested in, and of course, there's going to be other stuff that's crazy. Well, I mean, so. you have Texas Tech against North Carolina State too, uh, as well. You have a, a two undefeated teams there, so that's a, a potentially sneaky good game as well. Um, what? Oh, did you happen to see what the score of the Minnesota game was? What, 62 to 10? Yeah, if I had given you the point spread, if I had said uh, Minnesota's going to win by at least 41, would you have taken that? Yes or no? I, uh, they played Western Illinois? Yep. That's tough. Gopher seemed to be good. So, mm, that's a lot of points. They ended up covering it pretty easy. Yeah, so. they did. I'm curious to see what they will do. I'm curious to see what they will do when they actually play someone. I mean, North New Mexico State and Western Illinois don't scare me at all. Uh, they get Michigan State in two weeks. That's the big one. You got Colorado this week. They'll beat Colorado. But based off what we've seen now with how bad Iowa looks offensively and how bad or in, in Wisconsin losing at home to Washington State, the Gophers kind of have to be looked at as the favorites in the West. I still like my Purdue squad, but yeah, Gophers and Purdue, I'd be fine with either of those two teams doing something. Mm-hmm. And Marcus, Marcus had uh, what Minnesota USC Rose Bowl. He did, yes. Which doesn't seem all that far fetched now. If you know if Ohio State can make the playoff, Gophers can win their division. I don't, I don't, I don't even know if the Gophers getting there to the championship game would be enough to. You know, if Michigan has a good year, I don't know if they could hit the Rose Bowl. I mean, the Rose Bowl would take Michigan. So, mm-hmm. at least they're in the discussion. 
Maybe Michigan goes to the Orange Bowl, though. Could be. Maybe they get three teams up. I mean, if if Michigan goes, because I like who. By the way, Purdue plays at Minnesota October first, so that's a that's a that's the game right there to watch for. I mean, if Minnesota somehow beats Penn State October twenty second in Happy Valley, that's big. You go you beat Wisconsin. I mean, and they have to play at number eleven Michigan State. Minnesota, if they can win a couple of those road games against teams from the East, or you know, win two of the three against Michigan State, Penn State, Wisconsin. That's a that's a, a chance to, to climb the ranks pretty high at some point. Um, I mean, maybe we'll see three Big Ten teams in. You never know. So you got Auburn, Penn State. That was kind of good last year. So we'll see. Mm-hmm. Yes, we will. So that's uh, the week of college football. Anything else we need to get to? No, SDSU got one out of the barely ones. I need a little bit better than that, but um, a lot of guys yeah. hurt though. Didn't play. So that's yeah, that kind of dampers things about going forward here about what they could do. So it was a good good week of football. Yep, sure was. Um, we're done with the Twins. We're burying the Twins. They're not doing anything. They suck. They get swept at home by the Guardians. It's inexcusable. So screw the Twins. Fire the uh, fire Baldelli, fire you know their GMs and and whoever. This needs a complete overhaul. There's plenty of talent here. You got to utilize it better. Uh, so screw the Twins and uh, what else we got here in the baseball world? Um, I wouldn't fire the GMs. I I get rid of the coach. Okay. I just don't know. Like, how much does the front office have to do with the managing of the team? And is this their vision of what to do? I don't know. I like the moves they've made. I like the players they've traded for. I mean, he signed Carlos Correa. He had a big week against the Yankees. They beat the Yankees once. And and all hell broke loose because it finally it's that, that it's Steve Young getting the monkey off of his back. They 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 blew a twelfth inning lead. They were up in the twelfth inning. They still lost. Mm-hmm. They should have won two of those games there in done. New York. They, they they have to they play Cleveland again this weekend. They got to sweep them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it, it 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 doesn't look good. You know, it was just he had to win one. If you win one game, you're still what two and a half back. So it's just a very disappointing end to the season. They're, they're under five hundred now. A lot of injuries. So you know, just a bad bad end to the season. Mm-hmm. Um. Every time you think the Braves, oh, finally are going to overtake the Mets, and they did for like five seconds this last weekend, then they fall back a little bit, losing uh, two to um, to the Mariners. Do we? Th- that's really the only race of significance right now. Uh, the wild card has some intrigue on the AL side, uh, but there's no division race that's even close now. I get you know the AL Central, but that's just kind of shit. Um, it's the NL yeah, East. I'm interested in the AL East. Tampa Bay got to within four and a half. Because the Yankees have been True. so bad. You know, so, I mean, Tampa Bay is now five and a half back. Yankees are going to win the division, but it was, I mean, they, they, they played the Blue Jays or Toronto and and Tampa played today. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Tampa Bay made a little bit of a run to go from there, probably at least a dozen games back at one point. Make it interesting. So, I mean, 
the wild card, you got, you know, Tampa, Toronto, Seattle. I think that's basically your wild card is for positioning purposes. Right. I don't know if you want to want to get that you want to get that six seed to play Cleveland, I guess. I don't know. You, you would prefer to play Cleveland than any of these other wild card teams, maybe? So I, I would say yes. Seems odd that you maybe want that six seed. And you got the, the Phillies and Padres battling for that final spot to, to take on the Cardinals. And the Brewers are two back. They're still in it. So, and what do we got? A month to go? Three, three, four weeks to go? Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike Trout uh, is at a home run in seven straight games. Wow. It won tonight against Cleveland. The record is eight. So, yeah, Mike Trout in a year where he missed a lot of games is going to hit. He has 35 home runs now in 100 games. So, yeah, he would probably hit 50. He's having a good year. That he is. And the Angels still suck. Uh, hitter and pitcher of the week. Who do we, who do we got? Oh, I don't know. Uh my one fantasy team, I'm, I'm, I'm done. Oh, no. I was a 3C, just an empty week. Is that the is that the one with, that you could get the jersey in? No, another one. I didn't even make the playoffs in that this year, so I'm in the, the consolation bracket for the number one pick, but it's been a, been a bad year for that. The shot in Kirk League, though, I got second, so that was a good, good showing there. Good. One of those things where the other guy was just so good. Where I was fine losing because he put up, put up a boatload of points. So I was. It's hard to get upset was, about that, right? You know what? You beat the shit out of me. I, I there nothing I could do about it. So I was all right with that. A hitter and pitchers. Hmm. Maybe we get a hitter of the week. Well, we can always wait till next week, or you know, down the line we'll here too. We'll think about. It. We might name our hitter and pitcher of the year. Very good. Yep. Next week. All right, we can definitely do that. Uh, anything else we need to get to here? I mean, there's not a. I mean, football's dominating the landscape. Baseball. I mean, getting to that final month here. Uh, anything? Oh, U.S. Open. Uh, Iga Swiatek and uh, Carlos Alvarez won. Uh, so tennis is pretty much done now, uh, but very good matches there uh, for the most part. Serena's done. Um, the President's Cup is next week for golf. Why are they doing that? Like, what what's the difference between the Ryder Cup is the one that people care mu- much more about, right? The President's Cup is anybody versus the U.S. Ryder Cup is just gotcha. Europe. Yep. So, yeah, the people care about the Ryder Cup. I just can't care about team golf. It's it's a different format, but I've, I've never cared about the Ryder Cup. So, the Queen died on yes. Friday. Yep. Good news. Oh, yeah, that's about it. 96, 96 years old. And you know it's big when the Premier League and racing and golf cancels everything or postpones their tournaments and, 
and whatnot. Like everyone did it. Like it, there, no sports played last week in in Britain. So big deal for them. I really don't care, but big deal for those folks over there. Something to watch for this week. I think we are going to get the uh, the Jackrabbit men's non-conference basketball schedule. So we know that they're playing St. Bonaventure, but that's about it so far. The tickets go on sale for SDSU women in South Carolina. I think this week at the Pentagon. It's December 15th. I would like to go to that. That should be fantastic. You get to play the number one team. SDSU has a very good team. Mm-hmm. A Sweet 16 type team again. Yeah, if if you are going to play, you know that Connecticut, South Carolina type team, which they've never have, they played Baylor. I guess that's Baylor and Notre Dame about as close as they've gotten. So to play them essentially at home, mm-hmm. you know that big. I mean, that's three thousand people in that place is going to be very loud. Yes, so yep. that that is going. I want to go to that guy. If I can get, I, I guess tickets. Just make sure I can get in. I guess that's so. the one one other thing I, I thought of here with because you just mentioned South Carolina women. There was that um, a deal was it last week or a couple weeks ago where the Duke volleyball player was playing at BYU, oh. heard a racial slur, and then or that's what she said anyway. Uh, South Carolina women's head basketball coach Don Staley canceled a home and home with BYU as a result of this and now there's like an investigate or they've investigated it and that really um validating what the Duke volleyball player heard uh whether or not she made it up or just misheard something because that's very possible I guess that volleyball arena is very loud either way it's unfortunate because now we don't these are the types of things that happen and it just makes it difficult to figure out what the truth is uh certainly maybe don staley overreacted a bit but she was just reacting based on the the facts or what she knew uh, all the information at the time and now that that's changed i feel like maybe they should re-honor that byu south carolina if it is indeed true that there was no racial slur uttered towards this duke volleyball player this again though this is just a problem like what do you hear? And everyone's so quick to um, rush to judgment on this and everything. And now, if it turns out it wasn't it, well, does that mean the next time that someone hears a racial slur, we're going to be like, well, maybe it wasn't that because that's what the Duke volleyball player... Like, you're, It's like you're crying wolf. Um, I'm not... Yeah, I, I guess I'm not going to go to my other example, but I mean, I guess that's when... You know, sometimes people can claim they were sexually assaulted or something like that. And, oh, come to find out it really didn't. But that hurts the next person who really does get sexually assaulted. Or in this case, if there's a racial slur lobby, or lobbed at them and, or, you know, shouted their way. It just hurts that in that regard. So I, I don't like this whole story. I don't like how it all unfolded. And I still don't know if we really know what truly happened there. Well, those things, hey, you just got to wait. You know, sometimes people are so quick to come to a judgment when something comes out that's bad, they automatically say, well, this, this happened. Like, well, just wait. You know, maybe it did not. Not It's not every time it happens. Mm-hmm. Every time somebody says this bad thing happened to me, sometimes it did not. 
So, yeah, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Yes, we will indeed. All right. Uh, the Sanford International is in Sioux Falls. The uh, oh. Champions Tour for the fifth or sixth year they've done this. 18, 19, 20. I mean, fifth year they've done this. So, big golf tournament for Sioux Falls. All the old people, right? That's right. See how many Diet Cokes and cigarettes John Daly goes through. So. <laughs> Probably, uh, I'm going to say 48 Diet Cokes and 100 cigarettes. Well, at the one year, it was like the third or fourth tee or the eighth tee. Like he literally went to somebody's house to go to the bathroom. <laughs> so, and, and I was there once. I don't know if I got to go again, but I'm sure Marcus still be over there. Very good. Very good. Anything else before we say so long? Should be good. So, you know, a lot of things going on. Busy. Yep. Busy, busy, busy. So. Where, where, and where are you at? Is it home this week or are you away? We're finally back on a Friday night. Thank God, after two straight Saturdays. Yep. Got to go up to Aberdeen, which is another, like, two and a half hour drive. So, it's a winnable game. You know, we'll see what happens Aberdeen and Mitchell. Friday at 7. So, make the drive. If we drive that far, may as well win. Very good. Well, good luck with the call this week. Good luck with everything. And we'll talk to you soon. Thank you very much, my friend. Have a great rest of your week. All right. We'll see you later. Sounds good. Travis Grins joined me here on the Sports Block Podcast. Appreciate all his time there. Lots to talk about here from the NFL and certainly in the college football ranks. We're going to keep talking about some college football here. We'll get... Um, we'll get uh, Charlie uh, on here soon to um, to talk more college football and see what else uh, what get his thoughts on the Scott Frost Nebraska um, deal and then we will wrap up with a look back at week one in the NFL and make some picks for week two as we normally do uh, there will be another announcement here coming up at the end of the podcast so stay tuned for that so um that's coming up next year on the Sports Block Podcast, available on podcast.com and on iTunes. Search the Sports Block Podcast. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Andy Stacken, Facebook Nathan Stacken, Travis Krins is on Twitter at Travis Krins. Link to the podcast posted in the middle to later part of each week. Coming up next, more college football talk. Charlie Hildebrand, thoughts on Scott Frost, and much more. It's coming up here next on the Sports Block Podcast, available on podcast.com and on iTunes. We continue here on the Sports Block Podcast. Pleased to be joined by my good friend from the Northwest Iowa Review and our resident college football expert, none other than Charlie Hildebrand. Charlie, how's it going? It's good. I'm much better than Scott Frost is right now, except financially, where he dwarfs basically everybody now. He sure does. Um, you had a mixed, I don't know, was it a was it a mixed bag, a mixed reaction for you this weekend? Your Dolphins looked impressive against New England. Nebraska did not against Georgia Southern, but then they fire Scott Frost. So, like, is it is it a net positive then? What happened this weekend with Nebraska? Uh, it's a net positive. I think we've known each other, if I remember right, since the fall of 2010 when I started working at the SID office of SDSU. And as I'm sure you could probably attest, a very big Nebraska football fan that was much more passionate about it then when they were still good. Mm-hmm and uh, have slowly gotten less and less diehard about it. I certainly wanted them to win on Saturday, but mm-hmm. kind of just got that feeling as the game went on that things wouldn't go well. And to show you the point it's gotten to, 
And this is not to make, you know, I get this as first world problem stuff, but as Nebraska was lining up to kick the game-winning field goal, which I don't know, was like 53 yards or whatever, mm-hmm. Georgia Southern called a timeout, and this is not a joke. I remember thinking, you know what? I hope he doesn't make this. I don't know if I want to watch six overtimes with two team, <laughs> two defenses that can't stop the other offense. I don't know if I want to watch six overtimes and end with a loss there. Maybe I'd just rather have him lose right now. And then he missed it, and I was just like, you know what? I can watch BYU and Baylor instead now. I think that'll be more entertaining. So that was the point that we were at with Nebraska football and me on Saturday. I don't want to pretend to speak for all Nebraska fans, but I think there were probably a lot that had similar thoughts of just like, this is not that entertaining to watch and this is not working. Well, and they, clearly Trev Alberts and the Boosters must have thought the same thing. Well, I mean... It's got to be pretty, you got to be pretty desperate and pretty unhappy to not wait the three or four weeks when that buyout could would have been significantly lower and just give Scott Frost the $8 million and say, yeah, it's time to go. I mean, because, I mean, I think we, I used this phrase the last time you were on, but he's kind of like the prodigal son or he was the chosen one. He was going to bring Nebraska back to prominence. Like he, especially given what he did at UCF and and everything there, and the national championship that they that they supposedly won. I mean, this is rather stunning. Yeah, it's like it's, it was just a quick turnabout that they would fire him after. Granted, like it's inexcusable to give up almost 700 yards of offense to Georgia Southern at home, but still, like. It must have gotten pretty bad if you were like, yeah, just take the $8 million. We can't wait another three – we can't have another three weeks of this. Yeah, I, I don't know what was going on locker room-wise. I don't know if that was a case of, like, people were trying to revolt. I'm not saying they were or weren't. I don't know. But if they're getting rid of them, part of you wonders if that's some of it. And also, I think they kind of knew when they lost to Northwestern that it wasn't going to go great. And then when it was like, oh, no, they – they gave up more yards to Georgia Southern at home. It's not, not the most in school history, but it's the most they've ever given up at home ever in the history of Nebraska football. Where you think of some of the really good teams they've played, whether in conference or not conference over the last 60 years. Mm-hmm. That's saying something for a Georgia Southern team that might not even go to a bowl game this year and is just like four years removed from running the triple option to be like, oh, we can just absolutely scorch your force. Well, and yeah, the other thing, I, I don't know, it's weird, too, that like you said about everyone thinking that this would work out. I mean, not this season, but when they first hired Scott Frost. Mm-hmm. If you're, for an offensive coach, at least, if you were going to build an offensive resume in a lab, it would basically be exactly what Scott Frost's resume was before he started coaching at Nebraska. Or just be like, oh, my God. In college, you learned under both Bill Walsh at Stanford and then Tom Osborne at Nebraska, two completely different offenses, but from, like, offensive geniuses. Oh, and then in the NFL, he played safety and learned under Bill Parcells and Bill Belichick. Like, oh, and then he went back to coach in college, and he learned under Bill Snyder and then whatever his name is at UNI. I forget what the UNI guy's name is. And then Chip Kelly. It was just like, oh, my gosh, what an incredible, like, you know, 
host of people to learn under, like some of the best coaches in history. Was it Jerry? And the, and the ones that are still really good too. And learned both offense and defense, and it's like, oh my god, he's going to know everything. And mm-hmm. I don't think he's dumb. I think he's a smart guy. I think he's just not a head coach. And it's just kind of a fluky thing that they had that one great year at UCF. I guess was it um, was it Jerry Kill at Northern Illinois? No, the University of Northern Iowa. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, yeah, I, 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 I thought you said Northern Illinois. I was, I was racking my brain. Okay, um, yeah, I, it's just such a. I mean, it's a, and honestly, I didn't, I didn't realize that Georgia Southern had gotten rid of the triple option because I looked at the box score and I see 408 yards. Like goodness gracious, I remember when Jarek McKinnon, um, <laughs> the the former Viking running back and. 49ers now he's with the Chiefs I think he was the quarterback at Georgia Southern if I recall correctly if I remember right I think that's true and yeah just another another layer on that this is not like the Appalachian State team or the Marshall team from 1998 or whatever year it was when they had Randy Moss Mm -hmm. I guess 97 like they might be fine this year but like this is not a group of five team that's being going to be like oh wow they went 11 and 1 and they're ranked in the top 20 it's just a case of the like they might have nebraska might have the worst power five defense of every power five school it's just atrociously bad nebraska's defense is almost as bad or maybe just as bad as iowa's offense i was, I was just gonna say nebraska's defense is so bad that iowa could score 28 points on them <laughs> Probably could, you know, and we'll find out in November. They might score twenty-eight. I, I don't know what's worse for I, Iowa's offense is so atrociously bad. Like, and I, I get that's probably a double, almost like a double negative, or you know, it's a, a synonym and whatnot. But it's it's awful. How do you explain? How bad Iowa's offense has been through two weeks. They've scored seven points in each of their first two games, and that first game against South Dakota State was done the old, uh, the old-fashioned way: field goal and two safeties. <laughs> and, and the, against Iowa State, it was set up by a blocked punt that put them at like the fifteen-yard line, Dude. so they did not have to go very far to get that one touchdown. Uh, yeah. Their punter arguably is the MVP of their team so far, or otherwise, uh, that Jack Campbell, that linebacker, was just all over the feel like he's fantastic it, it's those two are the top two players on their team right now yeah and like for all jokes about iowa's offense like historically aside like I, if i remember right it was not that long ago i checked this but i think it was 2012 where iowa went i think were like four and eight and they were not very good you know they had a good defense not a great defense but a good defense and a bad offense Mm-hmm. And that was why they couldn't win. Like, that offense still averaged, like, 19 or 20 points a game, though. And to be where they're at, where they're only getting seven, especially in today's day and age of college football, where the, the rules favor the offense, mm-hmm. is so shockingly weird. That, I mean, I, I think you've got to lay most of the blame at Brian Ferentz, the offensive coordinator, yeah. and son of head coach Kirk Ferentz. And since it's his son that's not getting the job done, also at Kirk Ferentz's feet, too. Yep. It's not I mean, their quarterback, Spencer Petras, isn't playing well, so I mean, you can blame some of it on him, but it's not like, oh, wow, we're not throwing it well, but at least we can run it well, too. They just can't do 
anything. Well, and you, you talk about, oh, you know, they, they don't have a lot of offensive weapons. Well, Laporta, their tight end, is a top five t- NFL draft prospect uh, at the tight end position. Uh, he's really good. He's one of the top tight ends in the country. So it, it, it's not like they're completely void of, of talent. But uh, nepotism uh, doesn't always work out. Uh, and you know we've seen that throughout the coaching ranks at the collegiate level and the professional level. Washington State goes and beats Wisconsin, which was stunning. Um, I don't know about you. The way my Saturday worked out, I was not watching much of that game. I think I, I also had to go and take photos at a point on late Saturday afternoon, so that might be part of it, but... I didn't know that Wisconsin lost till like an hour after they did. Where I was just cause I, to me that, I, like I said, I can't speak for you, or I'm curious of what yeah. it was like for you. But that kind of just got lost in the shuffle of an incredibly weird and chaotic Saturday. Yep. And it was later where it's like you know it's not one of the three biggest stories. But you see that and you're like, wait, what? Wisconsin lost at home to Washington State. It got it. It certainly got lost in the chaos. I know you watch NFL Red Zone. Um, so like it, on, on Sundays and I, I love red zone too. And so I would equate Wisconsin, Washington state or Washington state beating Wisconsin to like Carson Wentz throwing four touchdowns for the commanders and leading Washington to a comeback win against Jacksonville yeah. in the, that's a good comparison because it's like, okay, you have, you have Cincinnati and Pittsburgh doing absolutely bonkers things. You have, um, you have Houston and Indianapolis in a 2020 tie, which, was, I mean, it's just aesthetically not pleasing to watch. It's like in the overtime session, you just have all this other chaos going on. You know, the Cleveland-Carolina game, and all of a sudden kind of getting lost in the shuffle is, oh, look what Carson Wentz just did with his bomb to Terry McLaurin. Oh, look at that. Like, they've won 28-22 to now, thanks, because Trevor Lawrence threw a pick. that uh, Probably an ill-advised pass. That's, I think, what you could equate Washington State in. And Wisconsin, yeah. too. Cause yeah, like, except instead of that, it was Alabama should have lost to Texas, but didn't. Mm-hmm. And then, oh, my God, Notre Dame lost to Marshall. And then, oh, my God, Texas A&M lost Appalachian State. Yeah. And it's, oh, my gosh, Iowa State had a 99-yard drive to beat Iowa. And then it's like, oh, yeah, huh, I didn't completely forgot that Wisconsin was in a tight game earlier. And, the, like, everyone, I think, is understandably so um, – Wondering about the officiating in that Alabama Texas game. It was not good. Uh, I mean, that what I'm thinking of, like the the roughing the passer penalty uh, called uh, when Bryce Young got hit in the end zone. Probably it should should have been a safety. Um, I mean, to be a- fair, they picked up the roughing the passer call. I don't know if legally they're allowed to pick up the roughing the passer call. Because at first they called it targeting and roughing the passer, and then they said they were going to review the targeting like they can. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're supposed to be able to pick up and say it wasn't roughing the passer, though. But they, they also picked up that flag and didn't count that either. Okay. Which, I mean, now it works for Texas, and I felt dirty rooting for Texas that game. Mm-hmm. It's like you need to take a shower afterward. Or what? Yeah, but yeah, and, that, I mean, and they didn't even pull it off and win. There's nothing worse than rooting for a team you hate, and then they don't even win. So you're just like, oh my gosh, this is so gross. And it didn't even pay off. But didn't it feel like there were several calls throughout that game? It's like, okay, Alabama's kind of getting these calls and stuff. Like it, it, it just sometimes feels like it's everyone just wants to do whatever they can to let Alabama win. I get what you're saying. 
I have felt that in other games. This I did not so think that okay. at all on Saturday. I think, if anything, just because Alabama had, what, like 10 penalties for 120 yards or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it was. there may have been some bad calls against Texas. I'm not going to dispute that. But Alabama had plenty of calls go against that, too. Yep. And, uh, and like, yeah. at the end of the day, I would say Texas had their chances. It's incredibly unfortunate that your quarterback got hurt. I think if, he, if Quinn Ewers doesn't get hurt, they almost certainly win. Yep. And then also you've got one or two missed field goals that Texas had. And in addition to that, if the one uh, Ohio State transfer at linebacker squares up and makes the tackle on two on that last drive, Bryce, you then know it's what I mean? fourth, and, fourth and 18 or whatever, and – you're probably going to win that, but they you couldn't make that one stop, unfortunately. Did you just trade Tua from the Dolphins back to Alabama? Did I say Tua? Yeah, did you, did you, I think you meant Bryce Young, right? I meant if I said Tua, I meant Bryce Young. I mean, That's do you, do you want to get rid of Tua right now? He just led your Dolphins to a big win over the Patriots. I don't think he's the answer long term, but I <laughs> feel good about how he played yesterday. <laughs> let's, put, let's put it that way. Very good. Uh, so, I mean, you had that chaotic scene with Alabama beating Texas there at the end. There was a while where Southern Miss was beating Miami. I'm like, okay. like what, like So, we go into this week two stuff. I know we didn't talk last week um, after after week one. And we can certainly get your thoughts on week one if if you want to get into that as well. But we, you know, I kind of look at this week two uh, schedule and you're like, okay, we have... The, arguably the best game is Baylor, or is Baylor at BYU. We have this Alabama-Texas game. That should be pretty entertaining. But there's not a lot of games where you're like, oh my gosh, this is where you know we're expecting utter chaos here. I think we have to bookmark week two now every year and, or like every time we get a, a week where it doesn't look like there's any marquee games and say there's going to be chaos because there was utter chaos this last week in college football. There was. This was. There's. It seems like there's one week like this every year. Sometimes there's even two or three. And if, if Alabama would have lost to Texas, I think this would have been an all-timer of the week. Mm-hmm. Even without that, it was still really good. It might have been the best in the last few years. You know, mm-hmm. um, I'm trying to think of other games. Because well, like you said, there's some there, there's a couple that I'm getting mixed up with week two and week one. But if I remember, I'd even, even I don't remember a lot of the details. But, you know, Pittsburgh and Tennessee was a great game, it looks like. Yes. Even I don't know if I saw a single snap on it. And I think I saw, like, Keaton Slovis got hurt or whatever for Pittsburgh. So that's not good for their quarterback position. No, that's unfortunate. I didn't see that. That's uh, That's too bad. But yeah, I mean, you you have that game. You have Appalachian State, who you know again goes on the road, top ten school this time, number six Texas. And like, okay, how about just f- college football in the state of Texas right now? Like, tell us who the best team is. Is it is it more than likely Baylor? Texas Tech is undefeated. They beat Houston. Houston, who was supposed to be this team that was supposed to represent out of the group of five, like the AAC has played their way completely out of the out of the conversation, pretty much for. Uh, any shot at like representing the league in the in the non-power fi- or like the the New Year's Six Bowl because Houston loses at Texas Tech, UCF shits the bed against Louisville Friday night. Cincinnati's already lost to Arkansas. Like it's just the the AAC 
playing out of the picture. I feel like we have whittled down the playoff field, or at least some of these potential, like the, the crashers, already through week two. Like, I think maybe you could put App State and BYU. Yeah, I, think, I, mean, I feel like it might be a Sunbelt team. Sunbelt yeah, by the heck it, of a weekend. Hell, Coastal, Coastal Carolina, maybe, maybe even Marshall. Like, it's just... I don't know if, if, if that's just what this year is, but, I mean, I've already lost two of my college football playoff teams with Utah losing at Florida week one, and then and then A&M shitting. I'm not going to even pick A&M next year. Not going to do it. I, I've just, I was said I might be a year early with them. I'm not even going to trust them with this highly re, you know touted recruiting class. You can't, their offense was pathetic against App State. There's absolutely zero excuse for that. Against a team that North Carolina put up 63 points against. Like what? What gives? One, you know, one of my favorite things about App State winning. What's that? Is that there was so much like, oh my god, this is the highest ranked team that App State's beat since they beat Michigan in two thousand seven. <laughs> so Michigan having you know a great year last year, just just I think it was Hawaii they played, just destroyed Hawaii. Yep. And now there's all these Michigan fans that just have to be reminded of losing to App State the entire day too, though, right. which I think's funny. It is, and you have number nine or number eight Notre Dame losing to Marshall. Uh, I mean, if, is Notre Dame overrated? They lose their quarterback now for I think four four months or whatever. I, I don't. I think Marcus Freeman's going to do a fine job there, uh, but that's that's still a bad. Like you can understand losing against Oklahoma State uh, in the Fiesta Bowl. You can understand losing against Ohio State, but now you lose at home to Marshall and. It makes people, I think, kind of question what what's really going on here. He's going to get those good recruits in, but I mean, Notre Dame needs to start winning here. That's a that's a head scratching and, quite frankly, a, a, a very very bad loss for the Fighting Irish. Ultimately, I think Marcus Freeman will be okay. But yeah, now that after losing to Ohio State and now losing to Marshall, especially. They really need to get that one win so they can be like, all right, we won. Let's let's keep doing this. As opposed to doing it like, oh, I wonder when they're going to win now. Uh-huh. Essentially, more or less, that's what happened with Scott Frost's first season at Nebraska. Mm-hmm. I don't remember if it was their first five games or first six games that he lost. But after a while, it's just like, oh, my gosh, they lost again. So I, I would assume that they will not have that same problem. But, you know, through the one game last year and the two this year, it's – uh. Not off to nearly as good of a start as we thought it might be for Notre Dame. And I'm sorry, I got the the name of the team that Notre Dame got wrong. They were playing Marshall, Marshall, Marshall. Uh, to just kind of quote Chris Berman there. So uh, indulge me on that here. So yeah, Notre Dame loses. So we have this it just it's it's just chaos right now. I, and again, I feel like the the number of playoff teams that we're seeing has just been whittled down already. To a very select few. I mean, and Alabama looks a little shaky. Georgia's jumped them down to number one in the rankings. Um, I mean, Iowa, Wisconsin, and the Big Ten West. Nope, you can forget about it. Maybe Michigan is good. It just, like, where's the pool of these teams coming in? I mean, do we foresee? I mean, Tennessee certainly could do it. Uh, maybe Kentucky. It, it just, it, it feels This like- is also the point where I should bring up the point that or the, the fact that the first year of the college football playoff in 2014, Ohio State lost to a 6-6 six and six Virginia Tech team by two touchdowns. Yes, yes they did. And ended up turning things around. It's so always better to in lose. In the year of the playoff, if you are a Power 5 school, 
Mm-hmm. You don't know for sure, but you can usually survive one loss if you win your conference. And it's always better and probably to probably lose... get in. It's if, with one loss, it's not a guarantee. Probably, if you're an SEC school, you'll be fine. For yeah. the rest, you don't know for sure. But if you can find a way to keep winning, like I, I'll, I'll tell you this, Dakin. I don't think that Utah is probably going to make the playoffs. I wouldn't one hundred percent write them off yet, just in case I can see them. Well, you can be going twelve and one. You could beat Oregon and USC twice, and you're in. I mean, if you go yeah. undefeated, I mean, you would have two good quality wins against USC and or Oregon. But at the same time, Texas A and M. I don't. I think the odds of Texas A and M being like, hey, guess what? We won the rest of our games this year. Mm-hmm. Are so incredibly small that it's probably been discussed by me right now more than it was worth in the first place. If, if you can only score one offensive touchdown against Appalachian State, how are you supposed to go into Tuscaloosa and put up points against Alabama and in, in a game that, I mean, for all intents and purposes, is a, get, a revenge game for Nick Saban in Alabama after what happened last year and, and the spat between the two of them in the offseason regarding the recruiting class. It's just it, it's just not feasible for A&M to, to do this. It's you would be crazy to think that it would actually happen. I, I think any A&M fans are like, okay, well, this season's done. Let's focus on, hey, Buzz Williams, let's get the basketball team going here. By the way, App State, talking about them, College Game Day is going to visit Boone, North Carolina next week for the or this upcoming week for the first time ever. So that's pretty cool. And that also speaks, I guess, to the college football slate in week three because I think well, they were, did you see that they were originally allegedly going to go to Texas A&M, Miami? That's and then what, because App State won, they were like, you know what, let's just go there instead now. I, I, when I had looked at it, I was like, okay, they have to go to A&M, Miami. That's the one I thought. I said, okay, it's at 8 o'clock on ESPN. It makes the most sense. And yeah, then A&M losing. Like, that game doesn't mean anything. And I was just talking to Travis about this here earlier on the podcast. That like, How is A&M a five-and-a-half-point favorite? If they couldn't score against App State, you're, now you're facing a ranked Miami team that's ranked 13th, 11 spots higher than you. Well, like we said eight minutes ago, though, too, it's not like Miami looks great against Southern no, Mets either. You're right, right, but it's still like, how do you, how can you even make them a favorite after what that performance against App State? It just it defies logic. Maybe, maybe I'm. I mean, the real answer is because they use analytics and they don't care about win-loss results. They care about other stuff when Mm -hmm. they're coming up with the lines. But to your point, it is very surprising to see that. I will not argue that at all. I think my question at the beginning of this whole thing before I went on that rant is, what is the best? Who is the best team in Texas? Is it Baylor still? I mean, you could make a case for UTSA. Certainly not Houston, or you can I mean, make it if, t- if Texas Tech. is healthy, it might be the Texas Longhorns. Okay, but obviously he's out for a bit now. I mean, is it Texas Tech? Maybe <laughs> TCU. I, it might be. I mean, I it's a better answer than I can give you right now. It's very weird. I yeah. We, we thought we would see all of these really good uh, schools, and I still think Baylor's going to be very good. Uh, but like it was potentially Houston was going to uh, to to dominate, go undefeated here. I think Traxler had him going undefeated and playing um, in either the Cotton Bowl or or another New Year's Six Bowl. Uh, it, you know, Texas is Texas back? Nope. Uh, it's it just where's the A and M already lose? It's like 
football, college football in Texas. I mean, this Texas year, was like, almost back on Saturday. Almost. I agree that they weren't, but it was close. Almost, but like football, college football in Texas in general. Is it back? No, it looks pretty average this year, at least through a couple of weeks. And I know it's a, I know it's a bit of an exaggeration, but it, I'm looking at these teams. Texas Tech and TCU are the only teams that are undefeated right now. In Texas, I think at the D1 level. Yeah, maybe it's TCU. I don't know. I don't know if I've seen TCU play a single snap all season so far. I haven't either. Um, no, I did. I, I watched him beat the pants off of Colorado a little bit here. Uh, I mean, at BYU, I feel very I feel very safe in BYU being a, a fairly dominant team. I mean, they beat Baylor without their top two wide receivers. I, I mean, you could certainly yeah, go. Yeah, they look good. You can go into Oregon, even if you lose that one. I mean, you have that neutral site game with Notre Dame. That doesn't scare me at all right now, uh, which maybe hurts BYU in the long run. But I, I still think like this BYU squad is is primed to do really good things this season. I agree. That's It's a big win that they beat Baylor, like you said, without two receivers. And uh, it will bode very well for them in the future. The smart aleck in me is coming out, though, which I'm sure you're stunned to hear that. I, I am. I'm, I'm glad I'm sitting I, down for this. I did think it was very nice of all the NFL kickers, after watching BYU and Baylor routinely miss field goals, to show solidarity, solidarity yesterday on Sunday. And they were like, you know what? We are also going to keep missing field goals all day, too. Well, we, know, yeah. we know how you guys feel. We don't want you to feel left out. We will do it, too. Specifically, the Pittsburgh Cincinnati game. <laughs> yeah, that one that that Steelers field goal in overtime. I didn't even care who won that game, but the the one the Steelers missed, where it's like, oh, it's too far right. Oh no, he hooked it right. Oh, it's going in. Oh no, don't top the cross rights. I felt more emotions in that four seconds than I had. It put me on a that that field goal put me on a journey. I did not know I'd be able to go through I, in a game that I didn't have any stake in. The Bengals absolutely botched that at the end there with the the uh, like punting with 15 seconds left on the play clock and it, it's running and so, like you would have given the the ball to the Steelers with like 35 40 seconds left. Uh, that was bad. Uh, the the Kate York kick, the rookie kicker from LSU, that that hurt me because I wanted Carolina to win because I hate Cleveland. Uh, with just the Deshaun Watson situation and everything. And he, I assume you saw it, he booted that 58-yard field, but it would have been good from 70. Like, that's how much leg he had. It hit, his 58-yard field goal hit the back of the net with force. Reasons I don't bet on the NFL. I saw that Carolina was a one-and-a-half-point favorite. Mm-hmm. I would have, if I was a gambling guy, I would have put a ton of money on Carolina to win and cover. So I would have been like, there's no way Baker Mayfield, who is best when he has a chip on his shoulder, mm-hmm. is going to let his former team come into his new house and beat him. And I was so positive that Carolina would win, like by two scores even. And of course, it's the NFL. Not only did they not do that, they lost outright. So long story short, that's why I don't gamble on sports. Well, I, I mean, I looked at the spread for the Western Illinois-Minnesota game on Saturday, and it was 41 points Minnesota was favored by. I'm like, I know Western Illinois is not a good FCS school, but Minnesota put, like, winning by 41, I mean, they barely covered against New Mexico State. 
Like, ah, I don't know. Yeah, 41's can... a lot. You can play really well and really dominate a team mm-hmm. and win by fewer than 41 It points. was 62-3 to three at one point. Western Illinois got close. They, they scored a touchdown late. Uh, so it was 62-10 to 10 the final. But Minnesota covered easily in that. It's just like, oh, okay, like... I would have probably lost money because I don't think I would have been able to put money on Minnesota covering there. But speaking of Minnesota, are they the best team in the Big Ten West? I, they haven't played anyone. They, they played be. cupcakes. New Mexico State and Western Illinois. They played Colorado this week. But you look at Iowa's offensive struggles. Wisconsin losing at Washington State. Your your Cornhuskers. I mean, is it Cornhuskers clearly not in the conversation right. this year? But, I mean, is it down to Purdue? And I think we can safely not put Illinois in there either. Yep. Or North- and I would say, I would say if, if Northwestern's losing to Duke, yep. that you can probably eliminate Northwestern yep. also. So are we down to Minnesota and Purdue? Is the, is the Big Ten West going to so. come down I mean, to... even though Purdue has that one loss and it's a conference loss, I do think Penn State's good. I mean, they might not be 11-1 and one good, mm-hmm. but I don't think that's a loss I would point to. I mean, I get that it counts as a conference loss, which could affect their division standing. But I, I, I agree. Right now, I would think it comes down to those two. That's how it looks like. So I'm, I'm sure it'll change. I don't know between Iowa and Wisconsin. At least one of them is going to look a lot better a month from now. And I'm, I would lean that that's much more likely to be Wisconsin right now. And Minnesota has not beaten Iowa in five years. But if there's a year to do it, this would appear to be that year. I mean, you don't want to take, you don't want to read too much into just the first two games of the year. But it looks like if your Gophers can find a way to get to eight points, they'll beat Iowa this year. <laughs> One would think, but it might all come down to October first when Purdue visits Minnesota. I mean, that might be the de facto Big Ten West championship game. <laughs> it might be. So it, you know, it, it's an interesting clash in styles too. Mm-hmm. You know, ground and pound of the Gophers, size, physical strength. And Purdue being like, hey, let's guess what? Let's air it out and try to throw for 450 yards. So two weeks ago, opening night, uh, the official opening night of the college football season, you and I were on the phone uh, talking about this Pittsburgh-West Virginia game because I was like, okay, I'm feeling good about my 8-4 and four West Virginia pick. We were talking about seeing Country Road uh, from, from John Denver, you know, the, the next time – uh, you came on the podcast, like, okay. And then, you know, the Neil Brown, the head coach, was uh, a little bee with an itch and just decided not to uh, not to go for it on fourth and inches when you were clearly picking up yards at, at length. You could have pretty much iced the, or put the game away at that point up by seven. They lose 38-31. You're like, okay, it's not good. Backyard brawl. Pittsburgh's a really good team. You know, had their chance. You had your chances, probably should have done it, but oh well. You can beat Kansas the next week. Oh no, we're losing by 13 in overtime, which is so weird. I've never, I don't think I've ever seen a team lose by 13 in overtime given the college football overtime rules, but that's what you get. I never have. I've seen them only play one half of overtime because the defensive team gets a pick six or a scoop and score. Mm -hmm. I've seen that once before. But I've not ever seen a team have double-digit points in one overtime period. I had First for me, too. I had to look at and do a double-take. I'm like, wait, how did they do – what? That doesn't make sense. Are are we – 
is this an early Big 12 basketball game that I'm watching? Like, what what's going on? You know, so, they're running the score up, trying to look good in the BCS standings. They know they got to look good to those computers, so that must be what they're doing. I, so I'm I'm all on the Neil Brown uh, fire Neil Brown bandwagon at this point. I mean, this is it's just uh, Mike Florio, Pro Football Talk, you know, West Virginia native, big West Virginia fan. He says fire Neil Brown, so I'm all over it. Like, get rid of this guy. You you can't these two weeks. No, 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 just. We're done. Yeah, it's not a good start. And, you know, the Big 12 is not as tough as a couple of the other Power 5 conferences, but he's going to play a lot tougher teams than Kansas this year. I mean, we won. And if you can't beat Kansas, I don't know how you're going to beat Oklahoma or Oklahoma State Ooh, or no, Baylor. Yeah, absolutely not. And week one was just tough. I mean, Virginia Tech gets a coach stuck in an elevator, and they they lose to Old Dominion. That's not, that's never good. SDSU loses to Iowa. I it just it wasn't a good. They lost week. half of their best starters in the process yes. against Iowa too to injury, unfortunately. But even like going back to week one, North Carolina State was lucky to beat East Carolina. So maybe is is North Carolina State a little overrated? Perhaps we we just don't know. Clemson looks like they're struggling offensively. Oregon was just awful and no show against Georgia, though Georgia looks pretty gosh darn good so far it, through two To be weeks. fair, I think it's worth noting that the last two or three years, Georgia's good at making a lot of teams look yes. really bad when they play. Yes, they are. So I, I'm not saying that. I, I think it's fair to say Oregon's not one of the 10 best teams in the country. They might still be one of the 25 best, but are just not in Georgia's league. So far through the season, Georgia has outscored opponents 82-3. to So... It's pretty good. It appears their defense forty-one to one and a half on average. Just yeah. you, you take that if you're a college football team. You you sure will. So George, that but so I guess bottom line here, what have you taken through the first two weeks of the the college football season? Because we've seen a lot. I I feel like you know a lot of teams out there have to be perfect the rest of the way to even sniff the college football playoff. But maybe we're just going to have a lot of mediocre to you know average teams and few truly elite teams it could be that i mean if you're truly honest my takeaway through two weeks this is a very weird like long shot completely out of the dark answer but i remember leading up to the college football season there was a lot of time we were talking about conference realignment and transfer portal and nil stuff and like i don't know if we like all this stuff Mm mm-hmm the second the season started, I had completely forgotten about all of that and didn't care about it at all anymore. I think maybe that's my biggest takeaway. That even when Nebraska is in the worst five-year stretch they've had in over 60 years, even watching the rest of college football games, the second, you know, I'm trying to remember some of the week one, or like you mentioned in week one, Pittsburgh and West Virginia, all that goes out the window. And I'm just like, oh my God, who's going to win this game right now? Mm-hmm. So maybe that's the biggest thing, is that I do really enjoy college football. And if Nebraska's not good, I just won't pay as close of attention as to Nebraska. And I'm like, well, you know what? I'm going to watch these other fun games instead, so I'm happy here. So this week, week three, what games really stick out uh, or intrigue you? I mean, Miami A&M was intriguing before A&M crapped the bed. BYU-Oregon, 3.30 p.m. Eastern, 2.30 p.m. Central Time on Fox is probably the best game there. Uh, I mean, 
it, it looks like another fairly weak slate, which means we're probably going to see a bunch of upsets and some chaos here. I'm looking at maybe primarily at Washington, Michigan State. Uh, uh, I mean, Michigan State number 11 happening to go all the way to the West Coast. That could be pretty tricky. How about Pittsburgh going to Western Michigan? Mm, that, that's got some potential. Maybe UTSA against Texas. What, what are we expecting here from week three? Because it doesn't look like we have a whole hell of a lot. I don't think that next week is going to have the same level of chaos as this week. There will probably be like two more weeks like that the rest of the season, but generally you don't get those. There aren't any great matchups. Oh, wait, all these games are amazing. Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen two weeks in a row that often. I mean, it could, if it does, then we're maybe we're going to have a 2007 type year, which would be fantastic and fun to watch. But like you mentioned, the biggest game that sticks out to me is BYU and Oregon. Oregon, I forget who they played last week, but I know it was someone they just annihilated. It was somebody bad. Yeah. Or um, was Eastern Washington, maybe? Yes, uh, 70 Who I guess Eastern Washington's not bad for an FCS school. I mean, they're good, but but obviously Oregon should win that handily. And BYU coming off like a big win, but a tough overtime physical game. And sometimes when that happens, it's tough to bounce back and play well two weeks in a row. Mm-hmm. The other one I'm really interested in is Penn State and Auburn, because I think Penn State could be good, but going on the road to an SEC team, even if it's an SEC team that maybe isn't great and isn't as good as they want to be and doesn't like their coach, mm-hmm. it's not going to be easy to just roll into Auburn and win, I don't think. It appears that Penn State is a 40-point favorite. So it could be a pretty tight game. And uh, we can talk about whatever you want next, but there is a Nebraska and Auburn specific thing I would want to bring up yes. later. We, yeah. we can do that now or we can do that later. Well, one of my co- I'm, I'm guessing it revolves around the head coaching and, and Brian Harson or Harskin, whatever, the, the Auburn head coach going to Nebraska. That was one of the questions I had. Is who do you want to see as the next Nebraska head coach? It's, it's, it's not – we can talk about that. Too. This, this is not about the Auburn coach being oh, okay. Nebraska, but it is related to coaching searches, so it's a, it's in the same ballpark. Okay. So I am I, I'm going to make an assumption here. We don't know, but it looks like it is not outside the realm of possibility that Auburn would also fire Brian Harson this year, mm-hmm. and that they will be without a head coach and need to hot fire or need to hire a new one. Mm-hmm. And I think that Nebraska and Auburn, that this both needing new coaches this year after last year was like a once every 15 years coach search where there were so many big jobs open. Mm-hmm. Like there will be a few big jobs open this year, but I don't think nearly like last year. And it could be that Nebraska and Auburn are the two biggest jobs open. And I think that will be a fascinating case study this year for the – new era of college football worrying where Nebraska and Auburn, neither of they're both name brand schools that still, you know, the the logo on the helmet does still carry weight. Mm-hmm. But neither of them are among the three best jobs in the conference. Right. Well but at the same time at the same time with the Big Twelve, the ACC and the Pac twelve making significantly less T V money and it's just going to get dwarfed in the future by the Big Ten and the SEC. Nebraska and Auburn are going to have so much more money to spend. And also, 
we don't know what's, I mean, I would imagine the ACC might be sort of safe. We don't know what's going to happen with the Big 12 and the Pac-12 and either of those two conferences could implode mm-hmm. or, you know, turn into Conference USA or the Mountain West or something. So it will be very interesting to see, for me to see how, who and who and what Nebraska and Auburn can do as, like, oh, name schools at very stable conferences that can just offer more money than any other school outside of the Big Ten and the SEC, and I guess probably like Notre Dame and USC. Mm-hmm. And like, well, I mean, I, I'm not saying that this is going to shake out. I would imagine. I don't, I don't know if Dave Aranda has any interest in leaving Baylor, but would Dave Aranda leave Baylor to go to Nebraska? When oh. people would say, "Oh my God, Nebraska's not as good as Baylor is right now," but could, but Nebraska could pay him ten million dollars and say, "Hey, guess what?" If you're the third best team in our conference, you can make the playoffs. I don't think the third best team in the Big 12 is probably ever going to do it. Like, I, I'm not saying that that as a sales pitch will work, mm-hmm. but I think it's one that could be very interesting. Yeah. Boy, for, I think for, if for Nebraska or Auburn, where it's just like, oh my God, Kyle Whittingham left Utah? Well, I didn't think he'd leave Utah. And it's like, oh, they paid him $11.5 million? Oh, all right. Well, I mean, Kyle Whittingham could leave Utah because if Utah is not going to be invited to the Big Ten or if they don't get to the Big 12, like, are you going to the Mountain West? Like, we don't know where – the Pac-12 looks like it is going to be dissolving here at some point. I, it, I, they, if they haven't reached out to San Diego State to get them or, hell, even Boise State, they need to get on that right now. Uh, I would say it's got to be more so San Diego State, but, I mean – it, they have to figure something out because the Big 12 is looking to raid them. Potentially the Big 10 is looking to get more. I I think the Big 12 has got the, the potential to be a really good, powerful conference, even with Texas and Oklahoma leaving here in a couple years. If I were Dave Aranda, I would stay at Baylor. Yeah, I mean, and I'm not saying that like he has to or he right. should. But that, and not just Dave Aranda specifically. I mean like any Big 12, mm-hmm. Pac-12, or ACC coach. Like, I don't think Dabo's probably going to leave Clemson. And there's a few others, but it's like, well, I mean, I don't know. If if I'm just trying to think of random coaches that have done well, but, you know, if they – and I, I don't want to say Oregon's coach because Oregon's coach is his first year. And I don't know if anyone wants Mario Cristobal out of Miami, but, you know, Auburn or Nebraska could offer them way more money than Miami has. And like you said, I'd be like, hey, guess what? If you finish second in the conference here, or third in the conference, you don't even have to make the conference title game. You could potentially make the college football playoffs, though. Right. And I just, I, I think for those reasons, that both Nebraska and Auburn, like, they're not the same, but there's some similarities between the schools. Mm-hmm. And it's just going to be very interesting to see how, you know, two teams who are named schools and are in the half conferences, just what they're able to do. Because I think... Five years ago, if Nebraska was in the spot there they are right now, people would say, like, oh, my God, nobody's going to go there. And maybe that's true. Maybe they won't get anybody good, and they might have to hire, you know, a coordinator from somewhere. But mm-hmm. I think it'll be interesting to see in this new era. We're, we're also with, like, with transfer portal stuff where you'd be like, oh, hey, maybe they can't recruit. But you know what? Instead of hiring, getting JUCO kids, we'll just get transfer kids from other schools. And it's – it's changed in a way that the math of like what makes a job attractive 
most of the things are still the same, but I think there's enough differences compared to 10 or 15 years ago that, mm-hmm. like, this school's good or this school isn't good is not necessarily the same answer right. or the same degree that it used to be. So who do you – And that's yeah. to say, I don't think Nebraska is one of the five best jobs in college football. It's not, it's not the top ten best. Mm-hmm. But it would, it'll just be interesting to be like, are they going to – I think Frost got $5 million a year, which was by far the most they'd ever paid a head coach, you know, per season. And they could pay the next guy double that potentially now just because they're making such a bonkers – I mean, they're making so much TV money that they didn't care to pay the extra $7.5 million mm-hmm. to Scott Frost for his $15 million buyout instead of waiting three weeks for it to drop to 7 and a half. Right. Who would you like to see – I guess my final question here for you on this, unless you – if you have anything else we you want to discuss, we certainly can. But who do you want to see be the new Nebraska head coach? I'll give you a few different options. And the first thing I'll say is I remember when Nebraska joined the Big Ten when Bo Pelini was the head coach, and they said, oh, my God. You know, people said, oh, what are you, are you going to have to change what you're doing? And Bo said something like, well, we're not going to change. We're going to make them change to what we do. And obviously, I mean, and he had some success at the Big Ten, but obviously it didn't work out that way. Scott Frost said something similar about his offense going to the Big Ten. I think in the Big Ten overall, and specifically in the Big Ten West, it is a line of scrimmage division. Mm-hmm. And you don't need to be like Alabama talented on the offensive line, but you need to be big and physical and tough. And Nebraska has not had many offensive or defensive lines like that over the last seven or eight years. Mm-hmm. So I think they need somebody that's good at, deve- at creating and developing big and tough offensive and defensive line that can do their jobs. And, you know, find a way to get back to the bowl, to get to bowl games and compete in the division. If they ever do anything beyond that again, I'll worry about that when they get there. After not being in a bowl game in the last six years. I feel confident they're probably not going to go this year to make six in a row. Mm-hmm. Let's just worry about getting to six wins and bowl games before anything else. So with all that in mind, my top five, top three to five list, and I would Kyle Whittingham would be my number one choice. I don't know if he would take it or not. That's why I would say offer him a lot of money, make him the sales pitch about being in the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. Might work, might not. I would also say Kalani Sataki. I know he's a Mormon guy. I don't know if he wants to leave BYU. If he doesn't, I understand that. Yeah. Uh, I would. I would also say Matt Campbell and Dave Aranda. Dave Aranda maybe would be the least likely of those four. And another one that I think could be great, timing wise, it might not work because uh, since they have the early signing day, that doesn't mean you have to have a head coach in the middle of December, but you mm-hmm. probably need one. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're really going to screw up your recruiting class. Yep. I also think it's possible, especially since they lost on Sunday, uh, that Matt Rule could go back to college football and yes. be really good. Mm-hmm. And I think he would do really well in Lincoln. But I don't know if timing-wise if that works, because I don't think they would wait until the middle of January to hire him. I mean, he could get fired. So, so basically, with Matt Rule, then you would be saying, well, is he going to get fired in the middle of November or late November? And it could happen, but that seems like that would be, like, not impossible, but that there's some stars that would have to align mm-hmm. in terms of working out logistically. I have but seen, I think those, yeah. 
And then, you know, I mean, Matt, I, I think I mentioned Matt Campbell. I'd be okay with, I think I'd be okay with Chris Kleinman from Kansas State, maybe, though I hate North Dakota State. Yep. And those would be my answers. I, I've seen the Campbell, the Kleinman, and, and Matt Rule. So I think that's all, those are all reasonable choices, and we'll, we'll see what happens there. It'll be very curious to see what hap- uh, how that search, uh, head coaching sh- search, shakes out. It'll be curious to see who it, the next head coach is. I'll say this, yeah. too. The interim head coach, Mickey Joseph, who uh-huh. was the receivers coach, in a long time ago in the late 80s, early 90s, was a player at Nebraska. Mm-hmm. If he somehow finds a way to get him to six wins, which would be the first time they've been to a bowl game since 2016, I don't know if that would like definitely get him the job, but I think we'd have to consider it. Where if they're one and two right now, they have nine games left, and they would have to win five of their final nine. And I get we're talking pie in the sky stuff here because I think it's incredibly unlikely they get to six. Mm-hmm. But if he somehow did that, then I think we'd also be like, yeah, I don't know, maybe we should have this guy be the next head coach. Yeah, well, it would it if he does that, it's almost a, a Herculean esque task. But if he gets them to that, yeah, I would say he should strongly be considered for the final head coaching gig. Anything else we need to get to before we say so long? I think I got everything I said. The big thing was the Auburn and Nebraska both yep. potentially being open and seeing how that shakes out. Yeah, I think I think it's Nebraska, Nebraska, Auburn, and West Virginia are the three jobs that open up right away. I mean, I'm, I'm just more ticked off at Neil Brown right now. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, I, there's a good chance that one will be open too. I don't think you're wrong. I hope it happens. He screwed up my prediction. So, <laughs> then again, I could say uh, the same thing about Jimbo Fisher and. Uh, Kyle Whittingham. So it's all it's open season right now. It, it is yeah. so. It's uh, all relative. We're in week two. We'll see how things look in week six. Exactly. And then we can reevaluate some of these guys whether they'll be fired or not. Yes, no doubt, no doubt. Well, Charlie, I always appreciate the time, my friend. Uh, enjoy the, the the college football week, and we'll talk soon. All right. Sounds good. Talk to you later, buddy. Sounds good. Thank you, Charlie. Charlie Hildebrand from the Northwest Iowa Review, kind enough to spend some time with us here talking about that great college football conversation, as always. So, yeah, plenty on the docket there. Uh, we will wrap up this week's edition of the Sports Block Podcast next. So you can find Charlie on Hildebrand, at C.E. Hildebrand. Again, loves college football, love talking college football with him here on the podcast. We'll wrap up this week's edition of the Sports Block Podcast. We'll look back at week one in the NFL and make some picks for week two and wrap things up. That's coming up next here on the Sports Block Podcast, available on podcast.com and on iTunes. All right, we wrap up this week's edition of the Sports Block Podcast with the look back at week at the previous week in the NFL and make some picks for the next week, as we always do during football season. Uh, so let's get right to it. Week one kicked off, new season for the NFL, Super Bowl champion LA Rams hosting the Buffalo Bills, maybe a potential Super Bowl 57 preview. Josh Allen was amazing. Uh, three touchdowns, one ru- through the air, one rushing. Had a couple of picks, but this Bills team was just loaded. Defensively, they were great. Offensively, they didn't punt once. And this Bills team is awesome. They beat the Rams 31 to 10. And then on Sunday, Chicago Bears, in a, it, just, it was so rainy, so sloppy, that field at, in Chicago. The Bears prevail over Trey Lance from Marshall, Marshall, Marshall. Uh, 19 to 10. 
Uh, the, the Bears offense, they were down 10 nothing. They hit, couldn't do anything. Justin Fields scrambling left finds Dante Pettis on the far right side of the field, wide open. He runs in for a touchdown, and that propelled the Bears from there. They get the 19-10 win. Travis, I talked about it. Absolutely crazy game in Cincinnati. Pittsburgh wins 23-20. They forced four interceptions and one fumble of Joe Burrow. Sacked him seven times. They started the game a pick six by Minka Fitzpatrick. And yet the Bengals kept in it because the Steelers' offense appears to be inept. Jamar Chase caught a pass. Should have been a touchdown had they reviewed it. They didn't. The Bengals chose not to. They got stopped. Then they got again uh, the ball again. Jamar Chase caught it. Touchdown. Extra point gets blocked because the long snapper got injured during the game. Overtime. Here we go. Bengals drive down the field. Evan McPherson misses a 29-yard field goal. Ouch. Steelers get the ball. They go down. Kick a field goal. Off the left upright. Doink. Bengals get it. Have to punt. But they didn't They take all the time down. It should have been a tie game. It really should have. Don't know what the Bengals were thinking. Steelers drive down. Get a field goal as time expires. They win 23-20. Saints didn't show up in Atlanta for the first Two and, uh, two and a half quarters. Finally did after trailing 26-10 in Atlanta. They score the final 17 points. Michael Thomas, welcome back. Two touchdowns for him as the Saints prevail 27-26. In the Baker Mayfield Revenge Bowl, the Cleveland Browns got off to a good start. Kareem Hunt, two touchdowns. Baker Mayfield looked awful for, for about the first quarter and a half. Eventually got things going. Had a rushing touchdown, a big long touchdown pass to Robbie Anderson. They had a field goal. They had a 24-23 lead questionable roughing the passer penalty called against Carolina helped Cleveland get into field goal range a little bit here they made a, a couple of nice passes and then a fake spike maybe should have been intentional grounding who knows Cade York rookie kicker from LSU comes out bangs a 58 yard field goal through it hit the back of the net with force it would have been good from 70 Browns win 26-24 Eagles and Lions played a fantastically entertaining game in Detroit. It was a ground game for much of the this one for both Philadelphia and Detroit. Uh, Jalen Hurst was great rushing the football, the quarterback for the Eagles. DeAndre Swift, big for the Lions. Jamal Williams, a couple of touchdowns. A.J. Brown, wide receiver for the Eagles. His debut with the team, 10 catches, 155 yards. He was great. Eagles hold off a late Lions rally and win 38-35. Colts-Texans. Finishing a 2020 tie. The Texans were up 20-3. Tight end O.J. Howard, who they had just acquired, or signed after Buffalo released him. Um, he, I mean, they had the two, he had two touchdown catches. 20-3 lead. The Colts score 17. The, the final 17 points. Rodrigo Blankenship misses a field goal in overtime. And that's why we ended a 2020 tie. Should have had two ties week one. Uh, but the Bengals inept clock management. Speaking of inept, that's that would define the New England Patriots offense. They only put up seven points against the Dolphins. They, Bill Belichick cannot beat the Dolphins in South Florida. It's just, it doesn't seem possible. Defensive touchdown for Miami to a tug of Iloa. Throws a touchdown pass to Jalen Waddell. Dolphins win 20-7. Speaking of inept offenses, that would be the New York Jets. Uh, Lamar Jackson took a little while to get going, but he finishes with three touchdown passes. Devin Duvernay caught a couple. Rashad Bateman with one. Ravens crushed the Jets 24-9. Washington had a 14-3 lead over Jacksonville. Jacksonville uh, went for it on fourth goal, couldn't get it, missed a field goal, had some turnovers, but ended up with a 22-14 lead over Washington, only to, see, only to see Carson Wentz hit Terry McLaurin for a long touchdown, and Washington would tack on another touchdown. They ultimately win 28-22. to 
In the late window, the Vikings, Justin Jefferson, six catches, 158 yards, and two scores. In the first half alone, finishes with nine catches, 184 yards, two scores. Christian Watson, NDSU rookie wide receiver, drops a surefire touchdown pass on the Packers' first offensive play of the game. That set the tone for the Packers offensively. They get rolled by the Vikings 23-7. Another week one that the Packers fail to show up in. Justin Herbert, fantastic for the LA Chargers. Throws three touchdowns as the Chargers hold off and beat the Raiders 24-19. Raiders! Uh... Devontae Adams, 10 catches, 141 yards, and a touchdown. Good debut for him. How about the New York Giants winning an uh, opening game for the first time since like 2015, 2016? They were down 13-0 at half, made necessary offensive adjustments. Saquon Barkley was great, and the Giants go for too late on a touchdown. They win 21-20 after Randy Bullock misses a 43-yard field goal for the Titans. No Tyreek Hill, no problem. Patrick Mahomes... Hall of Famer Patrick Mahomes throws five touchdowns as the Chiefs roll over the Cardinals 44-21. Yeah, Chiefs are going to be scary this year. And then the uh, Dallas Cowboys lose Dak Prescott uh, to a hand injury in the fourth quarter, but the Cowboys' offensive woes were well way before that. Uh, the, the Bucks ultimately win 19-3. Uh, Ryan Suck up four field goals. And then Monday Night Football, Russell Wilson returns to Seattle. The 12s boo him. And the offense for Denver didn't look good. Defensively, way too many penalties. Geno Smith was fantastic for Seattle. Um, he he throws two touchdowns in the first half. Seahawks offense, not great in the second half. Denver fumbled twice at their own one-yard line, one each by Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams. Then they get the ball back, try a 64-yard field goal instead of letting Russ go for it on fourth and five. Bad decision there by Nathaniel Hackett. And ultimately, Seattle wins 17-16, one of the upsets of the weekend. Now let's make some early picks for week two. Um, and it starts Thursday Night Football on Prime Amazon Prime Video. The Chargers against the Chiefs. Justin Herbert's fantastic. That Chargers defense is great. Khalil Mack had three sacks against the Raiders. I'm going with Mahomes and the Chiefs, though. At home, it's going to be loud. I like the Chiefs to prevail over the Chargers. Miami Dolphins at the Baltimore Ravens, 1 p.m. Eastern, noon Central Time on CBS on Sunday. Tempted to pick the Dolphins here. We'll go with the Ravens, though, just because at home, I think they'll be okay. Uh, winning a low-scoring game, but I'll take Baltimore. New England Patriots at the, at the Pittsburgh Steelers, 1 p.m. Eastern, noon Central Time on CBS. New England's offense is terrible. Pittsburgh's defense is great. Even without T.J. Watt, who will be they'll be without for at least six games with a torn pick, that reason alone, I'll take New England or Pittsburgh, excuse me, in a very low-scoring game. New York Jets at the Cleveland Browns, 1 p.m. Eastern, noon Central Time on CBS. If you saw what the Browns' defense did to the Panthers, how on earth are the Jets going to score any points? Browns roll big. Washington Commanders at the Detroit Lions, 1 p.m. Eastern, noon Central Time on Fox. Carson Wentz was good against the Jaguars. Now he gets the Lions. Lions give the Eagles all they could handle. They'll beat the Commanders here. Give me Detroit over Washington. Indianapolis Colts at the Jacksonville Jaguars, 1 p.m. Eastern and Central Time on CBS. Indy can't beat Jacksonville in Jacksonville. It's kind of like Bill Belichick can't beat the Dolphins in South Florida. Eventually it'll, it'll change, but I'm going with the Jaguars here to take down the Colts. Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the New Orleans Saints, 1 p.m. Eastern and Central Time on Fox. Both these teams are undefeated, or 1-0. But Tom Brady can't beat the Saints in the regular season. 0-4, make it 0-5. Give me Jameis Winston and the Saints to take down the Bucks. 
Carolina Panthers at the New York Giants, 1 p.m. Eastern and Central Time on Fox. Carolina needs to win this game, but I think there's some renewed belief and optimism in New York. Give me the Giants here narrowly. I don't say that with a great deal of confidence. Atlanta Falcons at the LA Rams, 4.05 p.m. Eastern, 3.05 p.m. Central Time on Fox. Both teams win, uh, 0-1. Both teams want to win. The Rams have had a little more time to prepare. Sean McVay, it does enough for me. Give me the Rams over the Falcons. And the Seattle Seahawks, the only team in the NFC West with a win at the San Francisco 49ers, 4.05 p.m. Eastern, 3.05 p.m. Central Time on Fox. Seattle, enjoy that win. It's not going to last long. Give me Trey Lance and the Niners here to win. Cincinnati Bengals at the Dallas Cowboys, 4.25 p.m. Eastern, 3.25 p.m. Central Time on CBS. Initially, I gave the Cowboys the win here, but no Dak Prescott. Their defense is going to rattle Joe Burrow's cage a little bit, but the Bengals are too good. Give me the Bengals here. Houston Texans at the Denver Broncos, 4.25 p.m. Eastern, 3.25 p.m. Central Time on CBS. Denver rebounds. Texans aren't that good. Give me the Broncos in the Mile High City. Arizona Cardinals at the Las Vegas Aires, 4.25 p.m. Eastern, 3.25 p.m. Central Time on CBS. I, I like what I'm seeing from uh, Devontae Adams already with Derek Carr. Raiders over Kyler Murray and the Cardinals. Sunday Night Football, 8.20 p.m. Eastern, 7.20 p.m. Central Time on NBC. The Chicago Bears at the Green Bay Packers. Packers need to win desperately. Uh, kind of get that the taste out of that, of that bad loss to... Minnesota in week one out of their mouths. I like Green Bay in this one to rebound. And then a Monday night football doubleheader. It starts 7.15 p.m. Eastern, 6.15 p.m. Central Time on ESPN with the Tennessee Titans at the Buffalo Bills. And if the Titans can't beat the Giants in Nashville, what makes you think they're going to beat the Bills in Buffalo? It's just not happening. Bills roll. And then Minnesota Vikings at the Philadelphia Eagles, 8.30 p.m. Eastern, 7.30 p.m. Central Time on ABC. I want to take the Vikings, but the Eagles, their home opener, Vikings primetime, prove that you can actually win in primetime. I'll take the Eagles. And those are your week two picks. Official picks and predictions can be found in the stack at stackattack.sportsblog.com. Not going into too much detail here, but we will be going on a brief break. Um, my mom is um, gonna going up, up to heaven. There's no, no other, there's no easy way to say it. Uh, She's been battling bile duct cancer, and and it's a very aggressive cancer. And so, just everyone out there, you know, make sure you're getting your necessary cancer screens, and you know, live life to the fullest every day. We we miss her, or we will we will miss her when it time comes, but it's coming soon. So, as we, um, as my family. You know, prepares for this and everything we're going to take a break but we will come back because you need that sense of normalcy and that sense of structure in your life to help things get back to normal and doing this podcast and doing my blog is stuff that i love to do my mom listens to this podcast and i'll i'll, I'll say it again when when we return but she listens to the podcast she reads the blog so um i have to keep doing it you know i know she would want me to and that's what I'll do. So um, that's what that's what we're going to be focused on and whatnot. So we'll be back uh, hopefully within a couple weeks, three weeks. We'll see. We're just going to take it uh, one day at a time. But uh, I love you, Mom. I always love you. And um, I'll see you again here soon one day. So for all of us here at the Sports Block Podcast, for Travis and Charlie, I'm Nathan. 
Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you soon again on another edition of the Sports Block Podcast. Love you, Mom.